we've talked about it before. The hunting season is short, you know, especially when we talk about bow season. It's, you know, I said, I'm not going to this wedding. (laughs) 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 All right. Sorry. What were you saying? You told me. I'm done. Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Man, it's almost food plot season, Jared, and Deer Grow is one of those products that has really changed the way that we plant food plots and the success we've seen from them. No doubt. I've been, you know, trying to plant food plots my, my entire you know, whitetail hunting career, which is a little shorter than yours, but the minute that I started or that I, you know, I realized that I could get Deer Grow back into some of these remote plots where I couldn't get lime or fertilizer, especially in the 50 pound bag, you know, format, mm-hmm. so everything was changed. You know, I could get into these spots uh, moving forward with a, with a backpack spray and that's since escalated to these 40 or 60 uh, gallon sprayers and we're doing upwards of you know five to ten acre food plots just with your grow and having phenomenal success yeah and i mean with the price of fertilizer lime diesel everything this year i mean what better way to get in there and grow a successful food plot at about a third of the cost check out deer grow at deergrow.com and we're back hey on our podcast episode 139 as always remember to like follow subscribe YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. Nick is back. I'm back. Back in the house, yeah. looking tan. <laughs> tan as ever, dude. That's a tan AF. Yeah, glad yeah. to be back, boys. Looking pogue. Boys, <laughs> pogue life. Pogue life, yeah. Uh, also, Corey Horn in the house. We got a full full deck today. Yeah, unplanned, uncoordinated, just here we go. Yeah, yeah. So, Nick, how was Charleston? It was great. It was yeah. great. It was hot. Yeah. Spent a lot of time at the beach. Yeah. Uh, you know. Ate some good food, drank some good drinks. Yeah. Saw some live music. Loving the Southern life. Yeah. Good times. And you're back to the North. Yeah. <laughs> Feels good to be back in the mountains. Yeah. The it's, air, it's it's so, it's much more refreshing. Uh, we were pretty smoky yesterday, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has been. <laughs> I keep hoping for sunny days and it's like, eh, hazy. Yeah, it's yeah. hazy. It's hazy. Uh, it does feel good. Jared and I were in the Midwest last week and like, uh, we'll get into it, but we basically died two or three times out in the heat out yeah. there. He was saying it was like 105. Oh, dude, at least like 110, <laughs> I 115. Not, I don't think it's possible for people to like understand. I mean, it, we got back to the hotel on like Thursday night, I think. And I was like, hey, dude, I don't want to scare you, but like my heart rate was through the roof like multiple <laughs> times. And Jared's like, yeah, dude, I think I had a heart attack twice. <laughs> I don't want to say anything, but I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I mean, it was, that was yeah. some extreme It's shit. like, it's when you open the door and it's just like, like hit you in the oh. face you're like this is not safe i mean it literally looked like um and that was the difference between kansas and illinois is like in illinois it looked like we were like just jumped in a swimming pool mm-hmm. like twice we yeah. ended up changing one time to go eat within like 15 minutes it's like, like if you go from drenched. dry to like totally soaked yeah. for the rest of i the mean day. i felt like i pissed myself just constantly <laughs> through the day yeah like it's just trotch was like we drove around for like two hours and it's still like uh, maybe i was peeing i just <laughs> lost control at that <laughs> point out of my you don't have any water porch. to pee out at that point. Uh, uh, yeah. we, we, did. we were on it with the water. I mean, we drank two Kate, full cases and, and six Gatorades a day. Yeah, I mean, Jesus. we were hydrated as possible. It still was like so many mineral, dark. So many minerals coming out of my pores. I was, at one point, I was chafing pretty hard. I was, the nips were... Good thing it wasn't a white shirt. I'd be bleeding. Yeah, I thought he was lactating. It just uh, was sweat pouring yeah, so, out. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was hot. But then... Like last night, I was um, spraying and fertilizing my own house. It was like 78 degrees. I'm like, holy shit, I need a sweatshirt or something. Yeah. yeah, Perfect. Yeah. We, we were also broadcasting into like six foot tall 
stuff. So, I mean, it's it was 105 degrees on top of it's like, here's a five-foot wall to go trunch through. The easiest. We, we broadcast yeah. how many? Was it six acres of food? Six plastic? acres. And on top of all of, like, the primary seed that we put down, which have been clo- a clover, uh, brassicas, or alfalfa on one of them, we put rye over every. So, we basically planted we 12 acres mm-hmm. of, of, of plots is what we walked. Yeah, the easiest description was, like, if you ever had to walk through, like, two feet of snow and you're just, like, trudging through, that's what that felt like. Mm. With gear. With gear. Yeah. And hot and sweaty. On top of hanging tree stands. What, we hung five tree stands? Five tree stands, eight cameras in Illinois. (laughs) Yeah. Slippery. Putting in the man hours. Yeah, putting in the man (laughs) hours. And that was in, like, a day and a half. Impressive. Yeah, we did not. We did not. uh, It was from the time we started till dark, basically, every day. Uh, and then Thursday, we got back in the vehicle, drove uh, uh, through into uh, northern Missouri, and then we drove from Missouri to Kansas on Friday, and we binged Kansas Friday and then flew our asses home Saturday morning. It was a week, for sure. Yeah. Got home, I was like, where the fuck am I? <laughs> a, lot, a lot of things have to go right for that all to... I mean, if you go, went back and recapped every single like interaction and stuff that had to work out for that all to go well, you know, from... Because we... Well, first of all, I missed... I missed the my alarm the first day. So like day one, we're supposed to fly out at whatever our flight was six o'clock. And you're normally timely. I'm usually like, I, I'm usually pulling in, and Jared's doors open. He's coming out. I pulled in. I'm like, it's pretty dark still. <laughs> Called him a couple times. No answer. Nothing. No answer. And I, uh, you know, Margie's sleeping. It's early. It's sure. four something. Mm-hmm. Four thirty. And uh, I'm like, well, I'm gonna pound on the door. The dogs are gonna bark. And as I pound on the door, dogs go off. I run back to the truck. I wait and I call him. I said, "Hey, you up?" He's like, "I am now." <laughs> yeah. Well, Margie woke me up. I didn't hear the door or the dogs. Yeah. I don't know if I didn't set my alarm or I shut it off, like in my yeah slumber. Um, but yeah, it was. I had set my alarm for four fifteen, and it was four forty. That's when I woke up. I was like, oh, I was wait. outside for fifteen minutes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so threw everything together. Fortunately, I had packed everything. Yeah. I was all together. Clothes were laid out. A little frazzled. So we did get out of there. Oh, definitely frazzled. Um, but got out of there, made it out in time for, it was the Whitetail Properties, you know, the, uh-huh. the national meeting, you know, yep, basically. So f- flew in, went right to that, uh, like d- day of. Did we go to Bass Pro first? We did. So we landed, rented our car, mm-hmm. which we already had rented. Mm-hmm. Same place that we went last at the weights, you know. Yeah, it sucks. That enterprises. Got a truck. Got some uh, first work, truck got some was dead. Do, but yeah, battery was dead on a truck. Like went to go get it. Yeah, nothing. went to go get it, dead. Yeah, go had totally to go back dead. in line, and I'm like this ridiculous mm-hmm. i said hey the truck's dead she's just like ah. yeah, i was like f my life okay and i waited <laughs> so waited for like two <laughs> waited for like two other I'm people all, i'm also disgruntled here yeah she yeah. left went outside i don't know what she's doing came back and she's, she's like, like it's time for my smoke break say, I'm yeah. gonna go out and smoke. she's like out. uh yeah take k7 or whatever i go to k7 it's a car i'm like do you mean k8 she's like yeah that's a fine sure yeah k8 we're out so yeah we went to bass pro yeah, uh, bought all of their tree stands. Yeah, all of the muddy tree stands they had. All the muddy tree stands they had, all the sticks that they had. Yeah. Um, Took a gander at some other stuff. Picked up a saw, like a little yep. pole saw. Got a pole saw. saw. Uh, machete, machete, always critical for hanging. Mm-hmm. When hanging cameras during the summer, I prefer a weed whacker. I really do. Mm-hmm. And I'll go to town on it, but a machete has to We went machete. Make Which was tough because hands were slippery with the old uh, yeah. sweat. There, there was a couple times there where I could have let go. I'd have been sticking right in that rental car door. <laughs> right in the back of my... Ah! <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Gotta be, gotta be mindful. Uh, yeah. So we got, got all those, got all the stands. Um, and and then, then meeting mode. So basically yeah. a day and a half of, of meetings and stuff. and Hit Walmart for some batteries. Yep. We ended up... Um, 
Yeah, so we got all of that stuff, and then Wednesday morning, pretty early, we we bailed and headed up to the new yep, Illinois farm, which if you listen to the last podcast, Jared and I are under contract, close to closing here now at this point um, on this new Illinois farm. Went straight to the co-op. Went and met our buddy Jeff at, mm-hmm. uh, at the co-op. Which, dude, yep. if, if you're not doing that, like if you're in any kind of ag area farm, like that's one of the first things you should do is is reach out and meet your like local farm office. Yeah. Um, they've got Super a, guys. A ton of contacts and knowledge about, you know, um, uh, the, the soil in the area, you know, contacts for if you, if you need things done remotely and stuff. So that was huge for us. We bought all of our seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glide, he made custom mixes for us, measured it all out. Mixed it all up for us, made recommendations, mm-hmm. pulled up, and it was ready to go. So yep. we had amazing. A, we had yep. got our fertilizer there. You we, can rent drills from a lot of them. Yep. We called the called them the day before to get fertilizer ready for the guy that we had hired. So um, I think in the last podcast, Jared and I talked, we, the big thing is like how we're going to manage this farm. A lot of people were asking in the comments on our last one. <laughs> yeah, the answer one. is we don't know. We're, yeah. we, yeah, we're going to figure, we're gonna yeah, figure we don't it out. Know. So the, the thing is, and, and we'll get into this food plot strategy that we've been using here a little bit, but um, in year one, it's like we just have to get this stuff wrangled in. Like a lot of it is CRP, of which if you're not familiar with that program, you can take 10% of a CRP field and put it into a wildlife food plot. So if it's a 10-acre field, you can make a one-acre one acre food plot. At least plot where we're at. I don't know if that's true from state to yeah. state, but that's that's what, you know, the local office is telling us. Yep. So, um, so but you're talking about, you know, thick, you know, wild, uh, you know warm season grasses and grasses other things. And in some there. broad leaves coming up in them. Yep. Our guy, well, and to, kind of to our dismay, when we pulled up, you know, all of the CRP fields have been freshly mowed, like to the ground. Yeah. So everything that we're, we're, you know, this time of year are expecting is four to five foot tall is, you know, inches, five, inches. four to five inches tall. Yeah. So whatever, you know, we don't own the property yet. And, um, yeah, it'll it, grow back. It is what it is. And those, those, uh, warm season grasses we're told are, you know, this year are going to just now start to take off. So yeah. I'm, I'm still hopeful that those will be several feet tall by the time the season starts. If they need a burn. Eventually they need a burn. There's a lot of thatch down in the bases because yeah. he's just been cutting. He hasn't been burning. He has, he's just been cutting. So it just yeah. lays down in that. So, um, so anyways, you know, the thought process is, is like, okay, what do we do? There were two plots that we needed actual clearing with. They had brush, some trees down, stuff like that. But the rest of them are just grassy fields. Um, and so our strategy this year you know, and it's just a matter of time and frankly, money is um, we needed to spray gly uh, on the plots, kill the grasses. We needed to fertilize and we just were going to seed right into it. No tillage. Nuke them and spread them. Yep. No tillage, no turning the soil over, nothing like that. Um, and so we uh, we met a guy, Sam. Which, did Since you mentioned that, I was yep. thinking about even our plots this year. I haven't turned over a, a you know, whatever you would call it, a, a section of soil. Because of the no tills and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, me either. At all. I basically I early on this this entire year I've I broadcasted all my clover plots right into whatever mm-hmm. that was, April, May. Yep. Nuked, spread fertilizer, yep, spread seed. They yep. look great. Yep. With brassicas, same thing. Same thing. Broadcast right into standing weeds. Nuked mm-hmm. them, spread fertilizer, and then our, you know, summer plots I drilled. So I just nuked them and drilled them. Yeah. And obviously we're not agronomists, but I've been, because of the deer grow side, I've been following along with a lot of the, what the soil uh, conservation efforts look like, especially in the, like the Midwest and the plain states and stuff. And, and I get from a production standpoint, turning it over. I'm not, I'm not trying to put that down or anything, but um, there's a couple big research projects that have come out of the the Midwest and in, in the Great Plains that shows um, basically the ability for the soil structure, for nutrients, for the, the microbes and the biological side of the soil to, to really perform. And if you look at 
um, the soil that's been turned is constantly you're destructing that that physical topsoil, right? You're breaking it up, you're you're spreading it out, you're exposing it to air, you're exposing new seed beds out, um, and what it looks like is there was a graphic that I saw where they had um, a, a basically a, a ball of soil that had never been, or it was like 10 years since it had been turned over, right? It's always been no-tilled and, and things like that. And then they had another one where every year it had been turned over and they put it in like a, um, like a big tube of water basically. And after like 10 days, the one that had been constantly turned over was just mud. Like it was just a mud, like cloudy mud ball. The other side, literally the soil was still intact and it was crystal clear underneath it. Mm. And it's because that structure of how it, it's been able to hold together and grow that healthier root system um, and not erode and everything is because it hasn't been worked every year. It hasn't been destroyed and destructed every year. And I'm not saying don't turn over your, your plots. I'm, this is not that kind of thing. But Well, well er erosion is one of the main huge reasons that you would consider a no-till method. The other one in most of the country this year is uh, water conservation. I mean, we're in a drought in Illinois and a lot of Missouri, uh, we were in, in Ohio and Kentucky even for a while there, is that the moment you turn that over and expose it, so it's evaporation of the moisture in that soil has gone out the window. Sure. So by no tilling into it, you're conserving a lot of that water. That's why a lot of people are doing cover crops and things like that is they're yeah. trying to keep moisture and organic matter in the soil. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's just something that, to think about is for us, it's, it's easier. If I can go in and nuke it, so much seed it fertilize it walk away and that grass and all those broadleafs just die over top and create like this greenhouse effect and then all my brassica clover and small seed grow up why so not that's what you want yeah and it's like if you have to apply at a 25 percent, you know higher rate on the seed you because the, sure the germination offset yeah who the, cares who cares frankly most Marginal. people listening to this are doing 50 percent over and they don't even know it anyways yeah right like eight pounds per acre is very it's lighter than you think so the success on it has been um and this is not the first year that I've, I mean, we've done some brassica plots yep. in the past and, and it's it's here or there so, and it's like it's hard to keep consistent notes and stuff but you're like I'm, i think that plot turned out pretty well and i you know but uh so this this is the first full on test. I mean, we, uh, yeah. Do we think it's going to be perfect this year? No. I mean, it literally it's the first time several of these things have been established in seven plus years. Yeah. Um. But do I think we'll have a good plot? Yeah, I, I do. So. The 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 only thing I think we're going to maybe face in Illinois is because some of those had been recently cut. You know, I I, I don't seed and thatch. <laughs> well, that that's part of it too. So those are our two challenges, I guess. One is that they were just cut and then we sprayed soon after we, we had no choice yeah so there's less surface area for the glide to cling to so i hope that the glide will be as effective as it can be it looked like it in some of those places we saw it nuke in pretty quick that hadn't been cut mm. yeah that was a yeah that's right that was that section, section. I, i'm Do sure you guys it, document it like year over year are you guys documenting all, what you're doing where i mean i know here. that I, well at this point with how many Ish. projects you have I going mean, I, on I've, and got, how many, uh, I've got product uh, or i've Ish. got pictures on my phone pictures yeah that i go back and i look and say okay and late august what that food oh, wow mm -hmm. look it didn't look as far as I thought it was, so I'm not worried this mm -hmm. year based on how it looks. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's really photo documentation. Dude, I'll say this too, just as like a, while we're on the food plot thing, I'm I'm really enjoying get back to clover as a staple. I I kind of neglected it and and here's, for a while. Here's like kind of why is because do so many times these food plots don't. Well, there's a lot of reasons why, and we don't have to go all the way into it. But I um because of these things we're talking about right now, small seed is a huge advantage. Huge to be able to broadcast into mm -hmm. thatch and stuff and still have a successful plot. So that's one. Mm -hmm. The other is like a cereal grain, 
uh, it seems like you can just continually apply it. It's like if you if you plan a clover plot and it's like it doesn't look great, yeah, you know, just seed over it, assess it, address it. You're like, okay, there's broad leaves, there's uh, you know, there's uh, grasses, and there's we didn't get as much germination as we want. Okay. So hit it with butyrac and clethodim and just put more seed down. Yep. Just broadcast more seed. Yep. And it's like over time, you know, the plot will develop. And it's not not like you has to it's success or fail from the one time. It's like no. I can I can keep applying seed. Five I can keep plus treating. years you can maintain those clover plots with just chemicals and mowing. And it's hard to wrap your mind around a full like clover maintenance or even a cereal mm-hmm. grain maintenance thing. And, and brassicas are maybe a little more timely. That's more of a Nebraska into saving with sure. ride, ride or a you know yeah, cereal grain type of a thing, but but yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying the uh, forgiveness that those small seed perennial plots give you. And we don't have the opportunity necessarily to do it. Well, we could we could call our, our food plot guy up, but we don't have necessarily the opportunity to do it in Illinois. But like in Kentucky, I put um, clover and brassica uh, and some alfalfa out on a lot of my plots out there into same situation, high grass nuked it, seeded into it, fertilized it, let it go. If I come back like this weekend, I'm going to check it out. If there's some spotty stuff, I'll, that's when I'll put cereal grains over top mm-hmm. to, to save those spotty, you know, areas and stuff. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's saved me a ton of time because literally all I need is my sprayer from, you know, Gly and Deer Grow and I need my cone spreader from uh, fertilizer. And then we, we use our Earthway bag seeders. Can't beat them. I just got a brand new one in the mail yesterday. She's crisp. crisp. Yeah, that's nice. She's crisp. But that's that's what we use. And I mean, those to- anybody can do that. Like, it, what's funny is like, I remember, it's probably five, six years ago, there was a big like um, push on the poor man's plots. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, let's do I think maybe Winky was kind of one of those guys. He was. Poor man's plots. Like, get to rake out, burn it. It's like, you don't have to do any of that. You just go out there and Glide the hell out of it, spread the seed, fertilize and deer grow or whatever, and then it'll grow. Yeah. Well, for some reason, we all had that impression that like, what well, has the soil, the soil has to be worked clean, it has to be like a clean surface to to grow. It's yeah. not the case. Yeah. Well, and I don't know. There may be some advantage to having like a, a worked soil. I I don't know, frankly. Well, from a root system and the ease of it to like, ha- yeah, absolutely. But it's also how hard pans form. You know, working that six to 10 inches of, of topsoil and never working anything underneath. That's how that hard pan forms. And basically no root systems can get deeper there. Um, it's also, I think, you know, to me, part of it's like a mowing system where it's like people love the mow because it looks great. Right. If think of like a freshly tilled field that you just seeded, like it looks beautiful. And the germination happens, and it, you can see it clearly. There, there has to be some benefit to turning soil from, a, like you're saying, the roots. Because there's, you know, all the farmers still do. It's like yep. it's not like farmers are converting to a no-till. Like, they obviously know about it. Yeah. Um, there's still a reason. That I think it's a roots. It's a. It's probably still, like, the amount of water that can get down into there. I, it's probably all around the root system, though. We're not farmers, so yeah. I, well, and, and maybe I would think it's corn over beans. Requ- maybe requires more of a. Well, as I say, well, and it's also bed. the um, what do they call it, like the mounding mm-hmm. in the corn. There, I watched something just here recently. I can't remember. Uh, I won't even try to attempt of what they said, but they talked about the specific mounding for corn and why it was really important. Somebody's going to comment on it. Great, you know, hopefully yeah, they're a farmer. Tell us all about it. Yeah, tell mm-hmm. us all. But think of that, and that's where the um, the corn planters come in with their very accurate and precise dropping of those seeds and spacing of the seeds. Whereas on a bean standpoint, I think all farmers now are no-tilling beans. Uh, not where we're at. I mean, they're the same thing. They're using a bean. See, I see a lot of farmers in my area no-tilling uh, beans. It could, it could be some of both. It's possible. Yeah. 
I don't see them turning soil for beans. It, it just, honestly just may just corn. be if they've made the investment uh, sure. to buy a drill or not. I mean, that time cost alone, right? Like you were saying, Huge. to actually Massive. go through that and do that. And then just the OPEX Although, to carry it. Yep. It is impressive how quickly some of those far, like some of those giant drills, or uh, sorry, uh, discs, Disc. it's nothing. Yeah. They'll go out and nuke it and turn that whole thing over in a half an hour. Yep. That's pretty impressive. Yep. But then they still have to come back and plant it versus I nuked it and now I'm sure. just drilling through it. Yeah, sure. you're done. So, yeah, I mean, there's a, well, and no offense to the farmers out there. I mean, there is a big push around the farmers to try to do more no-till type thing for soil conservation and erosion and everything else that comes into it. For whatever reason, you know, Corn obviously needs that mound furlough type, you know, yeah. furrow thing to to go through. So, but you can no till uh, corn. It's you're just saying it's because of the it mound. doesn't sound like many people no till corn. I did this year and it was a cluster. But yeah. I was gonna say, how does it work on uh, even on the back end of harvesting, right? So if you actually go and it's not line, if it's not mapped, does it matter? Well, the drill yes. will still drop it in a line, and yeah, it definitely matters. That's it definitely matters. combines are all built, built for, for rows. it. So yeah. those forks, it's just like a comb mm-hmm. running through corn rows. Yeah, yeah like my no-till and still beans. planted um, in rows. In fact, I, I, I'm i excited to see where I'm at, because this is kind of like the final push here on the corn for growth. Everything's tasseled out. Now they're putting on the actual ears. But if you go back, and I don't know how many podcasts ago it was, Nick, 10, 15 podcasts ago, like I was like, Jesus, like my corn looks like shit. You know, this I put a lot of time and money into this thing, and now I've got eight plus foot corn with ears. Like it looks, it looks like I planted a cornfield. Nice. Um, What's the difference? The difference was is time. my no till. Um, my no till is not as a precise planter as a corn planter. A corn planter literally programs in and drops the seed x spaces every um you know x inches on it. My mine is doesn't have the precise seed cups in it. So it's, it's cranking, like I can set the spacing, but it's cranking out corn inconsistently. So you, like I might have six inches between this one, two inches, 10 inches, like it just, it's inconsistent. That's yeah. So that's where the row side of things, like Jared's saying, the rows are there. Um, but the, the distance in between, I mean, if you look at most cornfields, they're like, I don't know, four inches or something like in between the, the actual oh, corn stalks. More than that. Is it? Yeah. Six? It's like a foot. No, no, no. In between the actual corn in a, in a row. Oh. Yeah. It's tight. Yeah, tighter. Yeah. Whereas, like, in some of mine, it's, like, 12, 24. Like, it just yeah. it's super inconsistent. Some of it could be in germination, too, but super inconsistent on that. You know, it's kind of interesting. Like, I, <clears throat> I'm sure guys have, like, uh, talked about accessing through a cornfield. Yep. Like, there's, not, there's nothing worse than in October trying to, like, beat beat the brush, like, through the middle of a cornfield. Oh, no, dude. I'm no. curious if there's, like, a preferred method for... Like this was the first year that I tried to like put some lines in. I ended up just kicking it with my boot. Like I thought, corn? I was like, "What's what's the method? Is it a machete? Is it a weed whacker?" That's what I've been thinking. Is it? And, and ultimately, it just ended up being kicking it, <laughs> just walking through, Kick it, yeah, kicking it, and there you can see rooting it up. I did like that like best. a a month ago. Then, yeah, at looks, one point in time, that stuff was like two feet tall. Now it's like six plus. So yeah. like it did what it was supposed to that's do. What it does yeah, now it's it, taller. I'd be lying if I said I didn't put a lot of money into fertilizer to get that going. I've sprayed it. That's a thirty thousand dollar food. Yeah, yeah. I've sprayed it screen, a lot with. I sprayed it. Sprayed it with uh, Gly originally, and then I brought I in it. grown corn plants and, and planted yeah, just them. Hand planted they're they're all transplants. Yeah, it was freaking. It was. It was a really <laughs> corn stalks. I, I went into a farmer's field and dug them up and buried. And I won't say that I won't do everywhere. corn again, but uh, I will for sure consider. Well, now you know the value. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a good learning experience. Yeah. The hard part this year, and and it's it kind of tying in with Illinois, is like. 
my Kentucky, my new Kentucky farm, as well as Illinois, is like we had to establish everything for the first time this year, which is super time consuming. So in Illinois, this uh, the one bottom field we put uh, two acres of alfalfa in. Well, we won't have to plant that next year, right? We'll just maintain it, and that alfalfa will be productive next year, the year after, year after. So it's in a lot of cases, it's the first year of establishment. There's so much time effort into it, but then once you get, and this is tying into your clover side of things. Perennials, once they're established, it's just maintaining them, right? Think about if you have 10 acres of food plots, every year you have to do 10 acres of food plots, a lot of time and money and effort. Whereas if half of those are perennials, you just have to maintain them and then you plant the new five acres. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot more time efficient and cost efficient. Yeah. And you do need annuals. I mean, for, for like tonnage. The, the, for tonnage and for those... Uh, you know, your, your hard winter months and stuff. Yep. It's, you know, yes, you know, rye is there, but if, if you're in an area that gets any snowfall, which is fewer and fewer places, frankly. Seems like it. Um, Grain above the snow is important. Right. Yep. So sta standing beans, standing corn. Yep. You know, brassicas are a good option. Sn you know, ice, yep. ice can be an issue there, but. Yeah, but for most of the year, your perennials are nine-month producers, basically. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, tying, big circle there, but tying back into your clover discussion, like, I think you and I are both leaning more towards clover and even some alfalfa in cases yeah. as perennial options. Small seed perennials are just like, should be a staple. Not that it has mm -hmm. to be, not a majority of your acreage. The, um, the, the, the number that I'm like, uh, I'm using as a rule of thumb, like, so this is for, for my farm, but I, I think it's pretty applicable. Mm -hmm. Anything less than an acre, I, it's clover or a, another, uh, browse. Simply because of the pressure. Browse tolerant, um, perennial so yep. so yeah because of the browse pressure anything over than that uh is likely going to be a brassica plot yep unless it's big enough to be like a destination like a in which case it's a green it's a grain yeah all that i think is tied that just makes sense because um your smaller plots are going to get browsed the hardest mm -hmm. and your biggest ones are going to be uh you know used the most long term probably right Right. So that's how I have our, so, and that's what we did in Illinois is yep. the, the biggest ones get grain. Um, the reason is because you can't, uh, you know, like in Illinois, I don't even know if a three acre bean field will make it. We have a seven acre bean field that's standing on the property. And I mean, it's getting pounded. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we came across one in Kansas. That bean field was what? 70 acres. Kind of amazing. It was the most browse bean field. And I'm not talking about the edge. I'm talking about you looked across it and it was clean cut the whole way across the bean field. Pretty amazing. This is the craziest thing I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Like, you know how you look at, um, like a, a, a like a bean field and you can see, oh, here's their browse in this line really hard. The whole field looked like it, it was like a, what, the whole was, top. I think it was a 70 acre field. Mm -hmm. The whole thing. And you could see there was one or two areas that hadn't been hit when you could see the leaves still. And you're yeah. like, that's weird. Weird. Yeah, it was like a pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Your mower guy came through and was just like, no oh, shit, just man. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> cut the top off <laughs> and like hedges. Um, just put it on the ground for him. It's fine. So, yeah, it, it, it's, I think that that's a big piece. And again, we don't know. Um, rumor is in the area there are a, a ton of deer um, and that we'll have a lot, uh, we'll have a pretty big challenge. Well, we got a picture last night of, I think it's, I think it's a big bug. It's a teaser. It's like a ha half, half of a an beam antler sticking in there. <laughs> and a nose. Yes. Yeah, it looks good. We do have some really we we've quickly been able to identify that um, the quality of the genetics in the area are good. Like we've got a couple three year old ten points that are looking really good. Um, this deer is kind of a mystery in look, a new look area. At, look at where, I know. I see what you're talking about. Look at where his 
beam is that in relation to his is nose? Is that is so it's his nose. Is he missing the G two from that shot? Yep. Yeah. So there's a big space there. Yeah. Yeah. If if it's what we think it is, it's a hundred and sixty inch deer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, not like a, not a two, not a, a mega mega, but it's, that's 160. a 160 inch 10 point, I bet. Yeah, it's cool. It's a, it's, that's in a new plot that we're, we're kind of looking at here. Sorry, you can't see the picture. Can't know where it is. Um, but yeah, so our, our goal in Illinois was to simply, um, be able to establish year one, have food, um, and make it more, I guess, make it easier to maintain in the future. So if we establish this well in year one, we can go back out in year two and it's like, oh, this plot's already established. We just need to kill the weeds and we can do the same process again. Broadcast, fertilize, it's done, you know. Front yeah. load the time for the long-term investment. Yeah. Especially when you know yeah, it's Once you cut you. these pieces out of what's been like essentially not used or, or established for many years, it's much easier to establish it in subsequent years. Um, do I think that it'll be the best quality this year? No, but it'll be better each year until eventually it's like we're doing it like our home plots, um, to where we can easily make sure that these things are producing the highest tonnage and quality every year. Now, the one thing that is a big question, cause I'm not in it, you're in better soil than I am, but this is like primo, primo soil. Like, I mean, according in a, again, not an agronomist, I don't know. According to like a lot of the people we've talked to, even from Iowa and Illinois, and what people are getting for cash rents and CRP, like we are in some of the best soil in the United States in that area. Um, so I don't know, maybe this thing grows amazing because like I grow great brassica plots and shit yeah. soil in Pennsylvania. It so should, I don't know. It should grow well. It's just going to come down to seed to soil contact and how good of a kill we got on some of those cut plots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm really confident that they'll do well. Mm-hmm. It makes it easier to change it out later too. Yeah, that soil's good because yeah. I mean, you guys have been so dynamic on the plots over the years. Where you start getting in those woods and you're sitting and you realize, like, actually, I want something different here. Yeah, and, then, and it's a challenge because of timber and or soil quality or what terrain, right? I mean, this is pure farm country and high quality soil, uh, which is why we actually made the decision in in that one big plot to go after alfalfa because alfalfa is a tough um, plant to establish. You need really high quality soil for it. Um, you need to be able to have a plan for maintenance around it. Um, but well, we have a saving grace too. We put rye on everything. Yeah, there's a lot too of much. There's so a lot like of nothing else. We're gonna have rye. Yeah, there's a lot of alfalfa it's around something. us as it is. So that kind of was like, oh, okay, everybody else can grow it right here. Like we can grow it right here. Mm. Um, whereas you know, if you look around this area, I've never planted alfalfa. That, that's my first time. I didn't even know what the seed looked like. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's a legume, just like clover. So, you know, same thing. Like if we end up having broad leaves and grasses in it, we treat it the same way we would treat clover. Mm -hmm. cool. um, so, which we didn't put clover in that. We just did rye and alfalfa. Mm -hmm. Yep. So typically in, in my cases, like I did some clover on the new Kentucky farm, which is not nearly as good a soil. Um, I seeded in annual clover in the alfalfa to give me some cover because it's going to be slow. The alfalfa is going to be much slower to establish in the high quality soil. I don't know. I mean, they basically didn't say we need to do it. They were just like, yeah, you know, put yeah. the rye in it. You'll be fine. I mean, we'll see. That was last, uh, let's say Thursday. It was last Wednesday, Thursday. We were mm -hmm. getting all that stuff in. So we're, we're week, week out. You know, we've got cameras on some of the plots. So we're seeing them start to die down. And we got a good rain on Friday the, when we left. Oh, perfectly timed. Too. Yep. And we look, looks like we might have another good one coming here at the end of this weekend coming up. Yeah. 
So, yeah, yeah I mean, that's, you know, it's all kind of luck. and Full-on plot mode, dude. Yeah. And, yeah, the uh, the inventory lists are starting to come come together a little bit, too. I mean, it's, who knows, it's it's early August, you know, but we've got plenty of bucks showing up all across the board. You've got a lot there, of know? good bucks showing up in Ohio. I know you do, too. You just got to get some cameras running. Yeah, I have, like, no cam. I have, like, one camera in Ohio right now. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm gonna get out there next week, dude. I'm I'm struggling with aging some of these things right now. Me too. I, I really, you am. know, I've gone back and forth on a lot of them. Or like that one I sent you this morning from Kentucky. I've been watching. I'm like, hey, you know, I think he's four. But if you look at last year, it's like, yeah, kind of looks too. Large. I'd almost guarantee you he was two last year. But I'd almost guarantee you he's four this year. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm I'm missing, and that that is the that's the hardest jump, or you know, the one we deal with the most frequently. Two to three. Yeah, because it's like they can be two year olds. Or, or three-year-olds, and it's like, I'm already, I know they're there, but I'm not paying them that much attention. But then the next year comes, and you're forced to make a decision. You're like, okay, if we're shooting four-year-olds, is this a three- or four-year-old? Right. And then you then you look back, and you're like, well, I thought he was three, but I could definitely see where he w- might have been two. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know. Dude. This time of year is so tough. Yeah, and I mean, if you're, if you're like, that's a big buck, shoot him. Like, if you're happy with him, kill him. You know, but if you're trying to get that deer to maturity, that's the question. Because that's what I said. is like, I really hope, like, a defined five-year-old shows up so I don't have to pay attention to that deer. Yeah. You know, yeah. otherwise, it's like, well, if that's the four-year-old, if that's the biggest, baddest buck on this property, that's what I need to hunt. Mm-hmm. You almost have to walk it back every time. It's like, one. It's like, okay, now this deer's of size here. Let me look back at what I had and try to figure them out. Mm-hmm. Historically, you've been really good at that. I mean, the... I, well, I like to think so. I mean, I don't have proof. I, like, you know, I... I've you, never have a, you have a big history to go back to. Yeah. History that is photo the, history the is way to insane do it. because yeah. of how many cameras are out there, too. Yeah, yeah. And we and catch that, them all over the property. The best way, for sure. I mean, if, if I have... Like, there's some that I, I can almost say with, like, 95, 100% certainty. Like, that... That year, I think, is a booner this year. I'm, I can almost guarantee you he was a three-year-old last year. Um, There's other deer you have where, um, you know, we'll look at it and be like, eh, he could be three this year. And then we go back, and it's like, well, there's no way he was two last year. So he had to have been three last year. It means he has to be four this year. Yeah. Um, and more often than not, it's like they make substantial jumps where, where it's like, well, I thought he was three last year, just like kind of a crappy one. Yeah. Well, th- that Kentucky deer this morning, like, let's hypothetically exactly say that was a like three-year-old exactly deer. Like We're considering two. He's made a giant jump to yeah. four. You know, I mean, he's a high 40s, nine point. And last year he was a 110 inch, barely an eight point. Same deer for sure. It's just, you know, he added 30 plus inches. Yeah. And yet you're trying to put stock in like which one you're more confident in. Like, so that one there, it's like, I look at that deer last year, yours. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and he ran with some other deer I thought were two. Uh huh. And I would look at it and say that's definitely a two year old. Like there has to be. And then I show you the deer this morning, and it's like it puts everything back into like what? Like I don't know. So like as of today, August whatever second or third, on my deer, you know, on any judgment that I'm trying to make, I feel like I have to err on what I, the the fall time frame, like because mm-hmm. that's when I'm confident in in an aging. Yeah, the the summer aging's almost. Unless it's like a mature buck, it's really, really tough. Even the mature bucks are tough. So, dude, I see some deer that very well could be five, six right now that I'd be like, I don't know, he's three or four. Yeah. In the summer, like, you yeah. just don't know. Like they just look there's totally a, different. There's a cool, um, there's a cool side by side drifting around. You ever see that deer? It's got like one eye and like it's it's got like a big spike on one side, and they do a side by side comparison of summer and November. I don't know. You remember seeing that? We'll have to look it up at some point, Nick. But it's um. 
it's a classic like side by side. It's just um, it's it. You could tell. I mean, obviously, it's a unique rack. It's got like four on one side, kind of like a messed up other side. And in the summer, it looks like he's staring at you. As you're like two, three year old, mm-hmm. and then the next one, his net. I mean, he looks like a freaking Brahma bull. Yeah, and you're like. How's that three months from now? Yeah. Like it just blows your mind what this deer does in three months. Yeah. You're almost better just not to try. Just wait until they shed velvet and they start showing up on scrapes. Problem stuff, in but... Kentucky is like September 2nd, I could shoot that deer. Right. And he ain't going right. to look much different than he does right now. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. You know, and yeah, you, I would rather err on the side of caution or let like the kids shoot that deer or whatever than me shoot it and feel like, oh man, like he was a three year old. Yeah. I mean, if you have the choice, yeah, just if, if you're unsure, let him walk. But I mean, how many of us do? I mean, I'm, <laughs> I don't, like, I, right, I, right now he's the best buck I have on that property. So it's like he's at the top. Right. You know, right. Right. so yeah. And it's, um, but I, I was talking to, um, the neighbors in Ohio yesterday and we were talking about some deer in, in Northern Ohio and, you know, between now and 15th of October is one of my favorite times in terms of the number of new bucks that start to show up. Mm-hmm. Like these deer, we talked about it in Illinois. These deer are moving like not far at all. Bed, food, water, bed. Like it's this small circle that they're making. They're not exploring very far. Um, and you probably could see that like uh, on a 200 acre farm, I'll have cameras all over that thing. And I see the deer at like one, maybe two cameras, but nowhere else on the farm. They're just Mm -hmm. not moving, you know, over the next four to six weeks, these deer start to really spread out and then food starts to change. You know, we're not too far from beans turning acorns starting to drop. Like all of a sudden there's a lot of things, bachelor groups break up because of testosterone. So much happens in the next six weeks that. You know, uh, there are properties I think we're learning that it's like we won't have deer in the summer here or maybe we'll have one or two home bodies um, buck wise. And then but as soon as mid-September comes, boom, here they all come. There's just no urgency to like put them in front of your cameras like they're 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 so content this time of year with, Mm -hmm. you know, just staying in their. Uh, you know, whatever they're browsing on during the day and stuff. And then <clears throat> there's just, it's not like they have to go check scrapes. It's not like they care that much about your mineral. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. yes, they're going to come in. But yep. th- the reality is, like, if you're in in a bait state or a state that allows mineral, like, there's probably way more mineral sites than you think. Sure. Um, and you if know, you're droughty. Especially if you're in cow country, you know, they're hitting that stuff too. So. Yeah, if you're droughty, they're not on your mineral much. They're yeah. just, they're, they don't need it. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, dude, what's better than hunting season? That's when the resources start to dry up and they start mm-hmm. to transition into the things that you've set up for them. And yeah. So back on our Illinois place, the one thing that we're kind of dealing with, I mean, we've had, we've been out there cameras out for a week. We've got some really nice three-year-olds on camera, one real toad of a three-year-old on the camera this year that I don't know, looks good. Not sure. Um, the big thing that we have out there is like, if you look at the landscape, there's cover everywhere. I mean, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of standing corn around us right now. Um, a few months from now, it's gone. And I think that's where, like, even I can't fathom what that looks like right now. Because if I look at it, there's cover everywhere. Like, those deer are laying in a cornfield next to a bean field. They get up, they go into the bean field, they go back into the cornfield. Like, that's that's what they're doing. Um you know, a few months from now, all this stuff starts to turn, things start to get harvested, and it becomes like no cover, like corridors. And this farm that we've, we've, um, purchased is mostly cover. It's more cover than it is food, which is a rarity in, in the, in the area that we're in for Illinois. And most of it's food with a little bit of cover. 
So it's kind of a patient game here in that, like, I'm sure we're going to see some bucks show up here over the next few weeks. It's like, oh, that's a good buck. But until a lot of that cover starts to diminish around you, um, you know, you're not going to see them as frequently as you will at that point in time. That's exciting. It's like a whole new landscape when you go out. As soon as they start taking it's hard off. To, it's really hard to visualize, Corey, because it, it's so dominant out there. Like when we're driving around in the evenings, like when we're looking for deer and stuff, it's just like cornfield, cornfield, cornfield. Okay, there's a small bean field. It's, it's ag as far yeah, as yeah. far as you can see. And then to imagine that like just being nothing, like just gone. It's like, where the hell are these deer going to be? Yeah. Well, it's you know pretty easy to see where they're going to be. And I think that's why you know kind of going back to these food plots, um, talking about pressure is it seems like these deer really pile into the cover that's remaining when the corn especially comes off, you know, beans, not so much, but when the corn comes off, these deer have got to pile into the cover that is more permanent and existing. And so, you know, if you have a acre brassica plot and that's the only plot you have, it's going to get mowed. It's going to be gone real fast. Yeah. I, th- I think some people probably make a, or have a misconception about like, well, I'm in farm country. Um, I've heard you say this, you know, mm-hmm. about my farm and we figured it out together. Over Cause you have a lot here. of food. Yeah, but it's like the reality is like it it's gone. You know, mm-hmm. by the time well, see like at, at our farm in Ohio, there's there's a lot of oaks, you know, mm-hmm. so we have a food source that extends, mm-hmm. you know, past uh, so those beans get cut. Usually it's um mid to end of September, mm-hmm. into mid-October maybe for beans, for beans, mm-hmm. and they typically come off first. And then our corn in Ohio again is is coming off no later than end of November. Which is interesting because in, later than Illinois. in Kansas, they cut, Kansas, they cut the corn first. Corn comes off first, then beans come off. Um, and I don't, I don't know about our area of Illinois yet. It sounded like um, maybe end of September, corn's coming off. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Hoyt Archery. Dude, where would we be without our Hoyt bows? Probably shooting crossbows. <laughs> or, or a Matthews. Yeah. <laughs> One in the same. Yeah. But in all seriousness, we love being Hoyt guys because you stand out. When you're in this room full of other people that shoot these other types of bows, I feel like the Hoyt guys just stick out. Dude, it's just a legit bow. I mean, th- th- especially that carbon riser, man. I mean, I-, I know that they've got several other aluminum lines as well. But for me, I'm shooting that RX-5 uh, in the carbon model. They've since come out with the RX-7. And uh, I can't tell you how much I love being a Hoyt guy amongst a sea full of Matthews guys. So we're out there, I think, pr- proving them wrong, shooting 80 pounds and uh, you know, killing stuff. Hey, man, if you want to get serious, get Hoyt. Yeah, so, I mean, I we're in a pretty good place. I mean, the next few weeks, we need rain. We'll see where it's these like, things... Let's go. Let's fast forward. I'm starting to f- can look at some of these weddings I've agreed to. I don't know about that. Yeah. yeah I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean... Rain check. Yeah. If you're not... Yeah. I think we go back to the, if you're not in the wedding, you're not that important. That's kind of how I'm feeling about it. It's like, you don't really need me. You probably just prefer... I'll give you, I'll I'll give you the money something. I would have spent on a plane to get out there, and I'm going to go hunt that yeah. eight point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like opening day, right? Or damn near? Opening day. It is opening day. Is October 1st opening day in Ohio this year, too? Yes. In Ohio and Illinois? Right in there, yep. Uh, would PA be the same, then? Usually, Ohio's a week before PA. Yeah, so but I'm, it's the, always the first Saturday in October for PA, so I bet they all open the same day. It's possible. 
Interesting. I've never seen them on the same day. I think Ohio's always a week, week before it. It's September 30th. Okay. Ohio is too. September. So they're the same day. September, September 30th. 30th. Uh-huh. Which would be, how many days are in September? 30. 30. Yep, so I would have to. Where's your wedding? Colorado. <laughs> I think the wedding is on the 1st. That would be the next day. Yeah. Right. Well, so I'd fly, <laughs> so I'd fly in that you day. Definitely miss it. You'd fly um, in on opening day. Day or after. You fly the in first. But the wedding's the on the first. Right. The day of the wedding. I fly in the day of the wedding. <laughs> and then out the night of the wedding. Out the night of the wedding. <laughs> okay. And out the next morning. Yeah. So I could technically just miss the second day. I'll be in Illinois on the first then. Might be out on the farm by myself. Screw these weddings. It's a very big question mark for me right now. Yeah, I mean, if we have uh, a giant on Illinois for opening day, that's October 1. Okay, well, we'll see. I, don't ha- I, don't <laughs> I did look last. I don't have to RSVP till the 20th of August. Yeah, we got time. Yeah. See what shows Plenty up. Plenty of time. Yes, yeah, so we'll that, that buck in Ohio would be your, your crypt keeper there on uh-huh. the 30th. He'll be there. I mean, I know where he's at. Mm-hmm. I just know that but will quick, you? quickly you start to lose him not far after opening day sometimes. Yeah, he won't. My problem is there's other guys that will go hunt it. Yeah. <laughs> I get you. I got to make the most of, uh, you know, you don't cl- if you don't claim your seat. Yeah. So th- this, is a, this is a cool transition. I, a couple people have asked this, and um, frankly, we haven't talked about the strategy as much as you know, people hear about um, Ohio and Kentucky, you know, Illinois, Kansas, and they're like, "How do you guys, how do you guys hunt all these places? <laughs> like, how do you, how do you? Because we don't. This is not what we do for a living. Um, you know, so I know a lot of guys who are, you know, hunting for a living. Crispy, we just talked to. Um, you know, they're hunting ninety to one hundred and twenty days a year. I mean, it's they're every day they're in the woods basically, or going to hunt somewhere. Uh, as much as we would love that to be the case, it's not the case. Yeah. Um, so we've got, you know, farms in a bunch of different states to hunt or permission to hunt in a bunch of different states. Permission from the landowner, not from our wives um, yet. And, yeah, it's uh, it's fun, but and I don't want to sound spoiled, but it is a challenge to figure out how to hunt these places effectively because – We've talked about it before. The hunting season is short, you know, especially when we talk about bow season. It's, you know, that's said, I'm not going to this wedding. (laughs) 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 All right. Sorry. What were you saying? You told me. I'm done. I'm done. This is not happening. It is so short, dude. The month of October is October and November. Every day. That's it. Every day matters. It's October 1st to November 30th. And I'm not trying to, um, you know, discriminate against our southern brothers down there i'm just saying it it usually is two months that is like the prime hunting season for bow at least you know and for us in the midwest and the northeast it's october november maybe as you go further south it's november december december january however you want to look at it but there's two months that are like right in florida right now i'm pretty sure (laughs) yeah and i mean yeah i can hunt uh kentucky september 2nd but i mean september hunting is is tough i I feel the pressure more this year than i have in past years, I think, because typically we start September 1st on some kind of Western hunt. Yeah, Dakota hunt usually. Last year, Muley's the year before, and like, I'm kind of butthurt about the fact we didn't draw 
North Dakota this year. Like that really mm-hmm. sucks. Yeah, that was a that was that's a big trip for us. We'll be there next year. We've got talk about planning. Like we got a lot of stuff in the hopper next year. But yeah, because this year I I will hunt September second in Kentucky. If I don't have a buck that I'm going to hunt, I'll probably hunt with the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so the kids will go out opening day or whatever. But then the the next weekend, uh, Emily's uncle drew a bull elk Kentucky archery tag. So I'm the pack mule and the guide for the for a week. Uh, or we've got planned a week, basically. So that week is kind of out for hunting for me, but it's because it's like a once-in-a-lifetime, you know, Kentucky bull elk archery hunt to be on with with her uncle, um, who we've I've hunted together with him when I lived in Kentucky a lot. Like, it'll be a fun trip. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, but all of a sudden, you're into mid-September at that point with, you know, seasons on the horizon in Ohio and, and Pennsylvania and Illinois. And so, yeah, I, I don't know... Um, I guess as a planner, as a strategy, the only one we usually have set in stone, um, mainly for, for our dads, um, is Kansas It's typically the third week of November, the week before Thanksgiving, we go to Kansas, that's Kansas camp. Um, you know, Jared and I could be more flexible, but sometimes they can't. So it's like, that's it. That's when we go, whatever the weather is, you know, whatever's happening at other properties, Unfortunately, in many cases, like we're in Kansas for that week. Um, and so that's the one that's kind of set in stone in the books. Plus, we have to book like Airbnbs and if we drop like that, which if we did, we this which year, we did this year. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so that one's in the in the books. Um, now it's like build everything else around it, you know, and and some of it's opportunistic. Some of it's frankly, well, what, we don't know. I mean, some of it's brand new. Illinois is new for this year. So that's, you know, add sure. that. And it's not an easy one. It's, you know, nine and a half, ten hours for us to get there. Yeah. Um, so it's not like, uh, Hey, I'm gonna drive five hours to Kentucky to hunt. Like it's double that to get there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we don't know. I mean, we don't dude, know. every, every year is different, but I mean, we, we have the home farms that we kind it's like you set some staples. You're like, I, you know, we're going to go to Kansas that third week in November, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you have this elk hunt that's, mm-hmm. that's planned here. Everything else in between is like, we hunt what we call the home farms. Like mm-hmm. for me, it's, it's just Ohio. I've got mm-hmm. between our family farm and some of Jed's farms. Yep. That's where I hunt in, in October. Yep. Um, and then you've got the same thing between your Ohio and Kentucky farm. You bounce back and some PA stuff at home. Yeah. Mainly it's kids for PA, Yeah, you know, so during the week after school and stuff, kids go, I'll, I'll get them out here. Cause I'm not going to necessarily leave. And the go biggest to the thing, you know, farms. that people would look at and, and compare their schedules to, and how do I do that? Is like, it's, it's flexibility of work schedule. Sure. That's really what it comes yeah, down to. I mean, to. I work, if I drive five hours to Kentucky, I'm on the phone for five hours mm-hmm. working, talking to people, talking to clients, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I have that. Flex- and when I get there, I have internet. I can get on the computer. I can knock stuff up. Corey and I were talking about this yesterday. Is like the ability to kind of my work goes where I go. Mm-hmm. Um, lets me set up to where I could work, work, work. Four o'clock, I'm gonna go jump in the stand. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But That's I'm already there. That's what I mean. Even last yeah, you year, guys did that in Ohio, like, right? We wake up early, we go and sit. When we come back, we work all afternoon until we're ready to go on the stand. And we come back, we finish more work if we have to. Yeah. And then, I mean, that's just the cycle. You just build it into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's I also think, the flexibility that not not everyone has. That is well, key. You do build anymore, dude. We do build it around the hunt. Like no matter what, <laughs> yeah. even if I was if I didn't have a job, like I would build whatever I was doing around the hunting yeah. season. And like as the years go on, you get better at it. Frankly, you figure out how to like 
you know, how do I spend more time in the woods is really what we're trying to figure out. So I it's think like, well, the schedules get this much more flexible or we, we adapt and work it this way. And, and a lot of guys can only do weekend warrior, right? Like yeah. if you have a job where you can't, you might be able to get off early enough to get home and get out in a stand mm-hmm. if your farm's close enough or if you can get out in that time. But yeah. I mean, even the guys here where you have to be somewhere every day for work and you only have X amount of weeks off a year. And I mean, you well, don't, dude, you it, can't do that. That can get pretty extreme too, to the point where it's like, you know, if you, if you get into the real nuts and bolts of this conversation, it's like, okay, well, do I want to have a job or do I want to hunt? Like, <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I'm the extreme thing. And you're like, okay, well, why do I need a job? And you're like, well, I have kids or you don't, or do I have a spouse? What responsibilities do I have? Yeah. I mean, literally it's, it's a real conversation that Margie and I kind of have off and on. It's like, mm-hmm. she's like, well, you know, you know, if we have kids, like you're gonna have to hunt less. I'm like, okay, I guess we're not having kids. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's an easy decision. Well, and me. it's in the back of my mind. It's like, wh- you know, why do I, why do I have a job? You know, why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what do you need a job for to, to produce income to to take care of the ones that you love? And and, hunt. and that's obviously important. Yeah. Well, but if, if you want to hunt, if that is a, a priority, you know, depending on how much time you want to put towards it, it's like the the career, you know, stuff that I've chosen is based on being mm-hmm. able to do that. I know a lot of guys who have um, completely changed career paths for the flexibility of hunting. And and that's not necessarily like in the industry uh, or anything, but it's that, you know, they, to Corey's point, they had to go to the office every day, eight to four. So plus commute, right. To where they found like a remote sales position or a territory job. Mick Doggett from Hoyt is a amazing example of Mick covers multiple States in uh, southwest part of the United States, Texas, Kansas, Oklahoma, et cetera. And Mick is a mobile office. Mm -hmm. His client base is across a lot of the area he hunts. So when he's driving to go see a client in Kansas, guess what? He's going to freaking hunt Kansas while he's up there. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying you have to be in the industry to do that, but medical sales, anything that, that is in that remote atmosphere. And if there's one thing that COVID gave us, there's a lot of remote positions out there now, a lot of remote positions. And so again, Remote doesn't mean, oh, I get to work from home. Remote means you can work anywhere. In fact, I had an employee for Stone Road. It was funny. I gave her a shitload of credit for it. It was like every day, like I kept looking at it. I was like, Jesus, it's like freaking dark where she's at. She went and stayed in Hawaii for 14 days. She would get up ass crack early to work the normal day schedule with us. And then she'd have all afternoon and evening to enjoy Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And I didn't give a shit. As long as she got the work done, I didn't care what she did. And there's no excuse for it anymore because Starlink exists. You can literally yeah. throw up a satellite. How uh, crazy is that? Yeah, because, I mean, that was the thing. It was like, man, like, I need internet somewhere. It's like, yeah, you got Starlink or, I mean, hell, half the stuff, hot spots if I've got phone signal. Yep. Dude, the, the way I see it, I don't, ha- I don't have a choice. Like, when that hunting season comes, like, there's nothing else on my mind. Like, I have to, I have to be hunting. Well, and the, the big thing for us, because uh, we've done it, it, we still have to to a point. Like, there are obligations in hunting season that we just, you know, they there's somewhere around of. it. They, yeah, they have absolutely. to be done. But um, the thing that we have learned the most over the last several years of this is you have to, when, when the conditions are right and he's there, you got to go. Because you can't just say, all right, I'm going to hunt this weekend. Well, if it, what if it washes out or it's 85 degrees in the middle of the rut, right? If Wednesday was the day, you got to figure out how to get out and hunt Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And I know that's not easy. Right. And it's not and it's not for everyone. Not everybody can call up their boss and say, hey, I'm going to take a vacation day on Wednesday and it's Tuesday. Right. But if you've got a remote position or if you've got a way you got it, it's just like making money. You got to get creative, figure out a way to do it. For sure. I think that because I don't have the accessibility, I live 
you know, 10 hours from here. Correct. And then I live 11 and a half from the farm. So if I'm going to hunt, I think one of the things that we've realized is like, we have to be flexible, but no matter what, we still need to anchor it. Sure. So it's like, okay, we know for sure we're going to carve out these 10 to 12 days, which mm-hmm. also not everyone can do, but to say like, hey, this is our window yep. and it's flexible based on on what we're seeing. And mm. then obviously, I mean, how many times have we scheduled stuff and it just, we got washed out for three or four days. Um, yeah. It just wasn't good. It was way too hot All last year. It was like every time, it's like something happens and we have to be flexible for it, but you still need the anchor to say, especially if you're working a regular job that has to be somewhere. It's like, okay, mm. well, this will be the time schedule it around when you know that your, your land is actually going to be mm-hmm. moving and, and you actually have eyes on stuff, but it's a classic rutcation. I mean, people will ask me all the time. They're like, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about taking my rutcation, whatever, November 2nd to the 9th. And it's like, well, yeah, man. I mean that, that would be, but if it's hot or you're washed out or whatever, like, you know, it's not as good, nope. you know? And, and I mean, we, that's circling back. That's what our Kansas book trip has cost us basically is the the inability to be flexible for that kansas week has put us in a position to where we we hunt five days of 80 degree temperatures and we don't see shit and that you know it's still kansas camp and we love it but could it be better hunting absolutely if we could be more flexible look at what we did a couple years ago yeah right like we all load up we go across we go to illinois we're out there and then we're like it's too hot all of us from all over super hot we're doing I mean, yeah. we had it all booked out and we're yeah. like, all right, well, we're done. We're, we all went home. It. We all went home the next yeah. day. Doesn't <laughs> make any it? sense. Yeah. To We've be done that more than once. Just one on that one. Yeah, just once that was that. Southern Illinois. Yeah. That's when I pulled the COVID card and said, oh, somebody's got COVID. We got to pull out of this Airbnb. <laughs> yeah, it, was, uh, yep. it worked, Nick. <laughs> nice. yep. And then we tra- yeah, turned around and drove back out. I mean, that's, that's what you have and to it do. it still sucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dude, this, this, life, this lifestyle will yield a lot of windshield time. You know what I mean? If you if you want to hunt the Midwest and you're not from there. Well, that's what's cool about remote. I mean, not like just all computer work, but like if you, you know, I my job is to live on the phone, basically. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know. My clients love when I have time to talk to them. So when I have windshield time and I can book five hours of calls, number one, it makes the trip go faster for me. Number two is I give them a ton of attention that frankly, I wouldn't give them if I was actually trying to do work on the computer. I can't, I can't do that. Um, And see, for me, it's different because I'm flying everywhere, almost everywhere mm, at this point exclusively. Yeah. I mean, I was pulling two to 3000 miles a weekend when I was on the road. Yeah. And that was great for, but now structuring it around flights i can be i can maximize that time i can have my laptop because sure. that's where a lot of mine yeah. is so yeah just be able to get in there tap in and go but you can be you can you have the flexibility to do it you just got to figure out how it accommodates in your work-life balance and your mm-hmm. travel and then obviously accessibility i'm envious like, to a point of the guys who are hunting 90 plus days a year because they just this is what they do um i also know that those guys get burnt out real yeah. fast um but the fact that they can, at any given time, they could be like, oh, yep, next week I'm going here for a week, and then I'm going here for a week. And, and like, we don't have that ability. Uh, could we say during the week, like, hey, tomorrow looks bang, bang a front, I'm hunting tomorrow. Yeah, I'll pick up and drive to Ohio three hours, stay overnight, hunt the next day, and then drive home. I can do that. Um, There's only I- so many things in the world that exist like that. Yeah. I mean, hunting is one of them. I think of surfing when swells pop up. Sure. You guys are flying out that I know. Yeah, that's quite a, a good bit. one. Uh, and then snowboarding. Like yep. or guys that are skiing when like fresh yep. powder fresh falls powder. and they want to go and they mm-hmm. want to hit something. It. But I can't think of anything else that's like as. We see that in like uh, up towards Erie when like the steelhead and salmon run happens. Fishing. Like if we get a good rain in, in that October, November time period and we see a big run, 
I'll see people jump on that. Same with weather conditions and like uh, musky fishing side of things. Like when the weather conditions turn and temperatures drop on the water, like it's it's go time. But yeah, there and you have to respond to those, right? Because it's again, it's it's such a time constrained. Like if you think about even fresh powder, like one week from now, it's not fresh powder it's anymore. Done. Two days. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So like you have to take advantage of those situations and you have to get creative. Frankly, year, I would, it's year round too, dude, with the farming stuff, like all, all oh. of whitetail deer hunting and, you know, call it deer farming or whatever, but like all of the food plot, like we're basically farmers during the summer. Like we're, we're checking the weather in three different places, like every shitty day, farmers, every day. but we are yeah, not, not good, ones, not good farmers. Yeah. It's important to us what the weather is. It's, it's and it's way more than just doing what you're talking about. Like you were just saying, you're like, I'm going to go up to the farm and fix fences. I'm going to go yeah. and do that. Like it's, there's always something yeah, that I've needs attention to put in. That, and, like it, it's not just this curating this, it's the whole package of what you're doing mm-hmm. yeah. across all those properties. And that maintenance is nuts. well, dude. And it's almost like it's, there's a point to where it's like, my dad's been asking me to go to walleye fishing forever. And I'm like, like how, why, how can I find time to do that? You know, and it's like, because every time I go up there, it's like, there's more to do. Like mm. there's stuff to do. And well, and like, that's it. It's like, it, yeah. It's like, again, I was talking on the phone, uh, to one of our clients about timber and stuff the other day. And like, my wife's like staring out the window and then like, you know, yesterday it was like dinner. And then I'm like, I, right, I gotta go fertilize and spray, you know? And it's just limited time that I gotta get stuff done. Um, but yeah, it, it's also just, the other times that we're not doing the stuff, we're trying to jam as much work into our lives as possible because in another 30 plus days, I don't want to jam any more work into my life. Like I want to be thinking about when I can get out and hunt. So, you know, we talk, we kind of joke about it. Uh, what'd you say? Quarter one and two are for work or whatever. The other day it was freaking hilarious. Like, it's like, yeah. What are you still working for? Yeah, it's, but that's the, the fact is, is it, when season is happening, um, yeah, we're working obviously, but we want the flexibility to just, if we can go, go the rest of the year, it's like double time because we know that we want to position ourselves to when it's time to go. In fact, a couple of these guys have said about the rotation. I've kind of said, Hey, listen, I don't know what your flexibility is. And I, I have no idea if it was up to me, I wouldn't book a week of rotation. I'd maybe book a day or two around a weekend that you know you want to hunt. Open, watch the weather. Yeah, and then as soon as you have book a day, because that one day could be way more valuable than your whole seven day rotation. Yeah. If it's the right day, you know, yeah. If you want to book an extra day on the Halloween weekend or whatever, because we know historically that's a good one. Yeah, do it. But other than that, just wait, man. And when you see that front coming, you say, "Hey, I'm going to take Thursday, Friday, and you're going to hit the right two days." And it it could be way better than a full well, week of hunting. Even on a given day, I mean, everybody's situation is going to be so much different. But if you can get to your the, your your hunting spot, like at a reasonable hour, like every day, or you know, with some flexibility, like in that late October, like just shift your work schedule up, type of a deal. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, like I'm going to have the option to hunt every day in October yeah. or November. But it may just be the evening or it may just be the morning you know the mornings don't become important until october 25th so then it's like okay how do i make things happen on hot days and like in between hunts and then eventually november comes and every you know everything just kind of falls apart you just saw we're doing is hunting but i mean yeah. look at how many even that last buck that i shot we sat for which one was that 12 days tough call oh yeah we sat for 12 days and it was the last sit in the last yeah. hour in the last <laughs> yeah. like we we're literally getting ready to get down after 12 days. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember exactly what our weather was like for, for that trip, but yeah, we were, got hot. it was, it was tough. It was yeah. hot when it got wet and then it just wasn't, mm-hmm. there was nothing moving. Yeah. And then a deer that we had never seen mm-hmm. walked in literally in the last hour. You remember which one he's talking about? Yeah. At the pinch? Yep. Yep. 
Yeah, and man. That was it. And that's what it took. But it took <laughs> yeah. that whole time of like, oh my goodness. Yeah. What is this, what is this well, happening? a lot of a lot of downs before the one up. Yeah. And and again, maybe that's a good example of where it was like, hey, if you could have seen that a week ahead of time, it's like, hey, I'm not gonna take off these days because it's just not gonna be good. I'll start here and hunt a few days and we'll see what happens. That's being nimble. I mean, we worked for three days out sure. of it. Like in you know, yeah, why not? When it when everything else was washed out and there's nothing else to do, like why not work on I will it? say that that the tech the technology advance has has the pro and con because one of the things I used to love about hunting when we were growing up was that we could go out there and there was no cell phone. There was no way to be accessible to people. And now I can sit and work in my tree stand, which is good to be accessible, but it also means that yeah, I can work in my tree stand. <laughs> so it's yeah. like there's the pro and con where you can't really disconnect and, and you're trying to be adamant about uh, savoring that time and being present 100%, but also – you know, being out there and managing and being accessible, mm -hmm. different responsibilities now as well. Uh, but, you know, some guys that can, even if you have that time to go out and be in the woods, I just like being out there regardless. Yeah, so. it's part of it. I mean, it's part of the sacrifice for that flexibility to be able to hunt. For sure. It's like, yeah, you have to answer some some emails. I definitely don't. It's not like I'm going to go to the tree stands and get all my emails answered. But if, if things come in that need to dress and stuff, it's, yeah, you got to do it. <laughs> but I don't know. There's not... Nothing like that time of year, man. I, I, I tried my best, like, throughout the year, to, like, with all of our clients and stuff and, and with, you know, my, my wife and stuff to, and our friends who are inviting us to weddings and stuff to preface, like, it's like, hey, this is what I do. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, I don't know, I feel pretty selfish, honestly, like, looking at this opening day thing and being like, I'm not going to go to this Oh, well, you can't not. I mean, it's because it, it it's is. Awesome, it's, it, wedding. It's, nah. in, it's in Colorado. As much as we joke about it, like, like, oh, deer hunting is life. Like, beyond our, like, family, friends, loved ones, like, this is what we do. Like all, our own, like our hobby is deer. Like mm -hmm. the, there is no, like, sure. Like we go to concerts or whatever, but it's not you like, can't, you can't even call it a hobby. You know, it's just like, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's I'm literally, this is it what is, I do. Yeah. yeah. It's a lifestyle on it. And, and, you know, I hear people, somebody comment the other day, like, oh, you know, whatever a deer hunt. I try to kill my deer quick so then I can duck hunt and fish. And I was like, I don't do any of that. Yeah. Like in the fall, like, unless I'm, like, somehow tagged out. In fact, somebody said, and take a minute, maybe we can kind of, it's hard to describe this feeling. We've talked about you're it. Getting, you're getting me in the mode here. We've talked. I, I, this is making me want a day beer. Yeah. Is what it's, yeah. We've, yeah. Ta we've talked <laughs> feel, about this. I'm feeling a late October, uh, midday. Oh, a little shandy? Uh, or October I'm, I'm feeling like a hazy, like a, oh, like a Sweetwater. Yeah. A little, little Sweetwater 420. Huh? <sighs> yeah. Um, so... I didn't know. I, I probably commented to this person. I just don't know how to explain it. And so it was, I think it was around us talking about like how not we'll do anything, but we, how much effort and money <laughs> we do to try to be in the game for a Boone and Crockett caliber animal. Um, and basically they, they shunned us essentially because, you know, our focus is on Boone and Crockett, not the hunt experience. What I tried to explain to him, and maybe I did a shitty job at this is that, um, Personally, I set the bar as high as possible so my season doesn't end. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but the fact is, is like I love to be in the stand and bow hunt and hunt and pursue so much that the moment I shoot a buck, even if it's a Boone and Crockett deer, like it's over, right? Which is honestly why I create other opportunities in other states is so that it never ends, right? I would rather end the season hunting the entire way through with all of my tags then shoot a buck first day every day and be done right away. And that's a weird thing to like say because isn't the culmination to kill a giant buck? Yes, it is. But I 
I've done it, it in the past. Be, it has to be just out of reach. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you want the goals to be like it could happen, but yes. it's almost impossible. Yeah. You know, it, when I only hunted Pennsylvania, I remember it was, um, it was probably in college, early college or something. I killed, um, at that time was the biggest buck with my bow the second weekend of the season. And I remember feeling like, what the hell do I do now? Like I went out and killed does and stuff, but it was just like, I, like it's over. I didn't hunt anywhere else. There were no other States in my mind. It was like, yeah. What do I do at this point? What are we doing? Yeah. Um, what are they doing to us? What are they doing to us? Um, but yeah, so part of buying in other states or leasing or whatever you want to say is so that my season continues. Like it, it has no end until the season ends. But that goal of when we say Boone and Crockett or a mature buck or whatever is that to your point, I love that description, just out of reach. So I'm being pulled through the season, chasing a goal that... Frankly, I may know is almost unattainable just so that I can experience the entire season through. And if I get it, it's like just crashes the ceiling. Yeah. Right. It's, 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 what, what, what good is it to have a goal that you know is attainable? Like agree. that's that's not fun. What we talk about, we always love to put There's ourselves no in that. an uncomfortable position yeah. because that breeds growth yeah. well, and, and you should and set goals reach. in life and in business like the same way that we do in the deer season. It's like it should be the highest questionable as to whether it's attainable or not um so that as you know through the pursuit like you're learning you're failing you're mm -hmm. just like at the premium of the experience you know and you will fail like there are plenty of seasons where we yep. won't you know we we won't achieve that a lot goal. of tags but yeah, we'll, but I'm okay yeah. but we'll enjoy the hell out of because it because i enjoyed the hell out of yeah. that so Worth that's every penny every bit of energy yeah and i'm so no, i'm not putting that person who can't i'm just hoping i explain it better because they act like the experience doesn't matter the experience is everything it's everything yeah the, the the chase of that just out of reach goal is the experience i see who said that dude it was it was cody de that's like you think you want to shoot that but you think you wanted to tag on it but you don't you want to just you want to fail suffer. and you want to keep suffering you want to miss them again Again, two weeks later and and he was right about that yeah because you just don't want to and and the this is not a not syndrome thing yeah, yeah. it's not <laughs> a not keep, it, keep yeah. pulling you back in if you if you want to just kill a buck that's fine but that's because you don't care about hunting as much as i do mm -hmm. that's just how it is you know if you unless you're just like i'm going to kill a bunch of these and i'm going to keep hunting it's just for it's the love of the season dude like there there is nothing to describe it's funny dude we start getting like uh like a, what's not emotional or just like uh giddy how would you hey how would you describe like our uh the the, mo the emotions that are coming up like mid to end of september where it's just mystical it's well, just like yeah. it's here dude. well like, it's, a, it's it's an overflowing anticipation at that point yeah <laughs> like you you just can't like you can't contain the shit yeah you're brimmed yeah. over at that point you can't contain it the the joy like as and i you know everybody knows sometime i think it's sometime in those first two weeks of october where like leaves are falling, acorns are dropping, frosty morning or a cooling like evening, those thermals are pulling that and you're just like, you just freeze it's for magic. a second and just soak it in. It's just magic. You know, and it's just, it, nothing could happen that day at all. And, but because of soaking it in, you're like, I, you know, I get goosebumps just talk, literally, mm -hmm. like I have goosebumps talking about that. Mm -hmm. Cause that is the feeling that I think anybody who really, really believes in this and lifestyles it lives for mm -hmm. um and the scary thing is dude we don't have as many falls as we think we have mm -hmm. like that's you know i've seen it more and more from people in fact um slight deviation yeah you ever heard of um josh bias he um yeah got kills uh he hunted all the uh, he's got a bow bow hunting counties in west virginia 
Does he have a brother that's on the uh, in Ohio? I, Dan. Dan Bias. Maybe. That's uh, team. They've got some hunting group. Team Radical. I'll look it up. Look, look up Dan Bias. They have some hunting. I don't know if he's related. Anyways, Josh was in um, southern West Virginia. He he was known for hunting the bow hunting only counties we talk about all the time. Okay. Killed some giants. Killed a like a, a freak Boone and Crockett a couple years ago. Uh, and I don't know what happened, so I'm not going to make... Uh, he, he passed away uh, this past week. Young. A little bit older than me. No way. Um, not sure from what. And, you know, but out of respect for the family, won't oh. you know speculate on it. But um, a, a critical part of our community, um, you know, had, had wrote for Deer, uh, North American Whitetail on some of these just giant mountain bucks in West Virginia. Guy had developed a skill for killing big, big bucks in West Virginia bow hunting counties, which are not easy to hunt. Um, and yeah, it, you know, came across my social feed this week. That sucks. Um, I, don't, I don't know if they're related. It's, it's uh, Tyneman is Dan Bias. Maybe. Yeah, I think it is. Tyneman. I wonder if that's a, his brother or something. Yeah. I don't know. Cousin, brother. That's sobering, right? I mean, to, well, it to goes the, back to the, like, we don't, we all, I mean, because that guy, much like this community we're talking about, uh, that dude lived for fall and he won't see this one, you know? And so it's like, those are those days that, you know, maybe it doesn't work out or maybe you're stressed out about something else, but, you know, you don't have many of them, you know, as much as we think like, oh, you know, next year, two years from now. Well, that's that's I the, promise, that's yeah. the perspective that you got to try to have that time of year. It's like, yeah, I know there's responsibilities. I know things are important to, to get done, but it's like knowing, you know, we may not have that many seasons and knowing that it only comes this time of year. It's like, what really is more important? Is more important to, to be out there and to do what you love? Well, and I think we've been told, um, media, family, whatever, that it's like, no, 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 your job, your career, money, that's the priority in life. Uh, none of that shit will make you happy usually. Mm-hmm. Um, is it necessary? Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, it's necessary. But like when you talk about like people being happy, I mean, there are a lot of very, very rich people in this country who are miserable, miserable pricks. Most. Sure. Yeah. Um, For me, it's totally, I mean, I get so little time in the woods, but if I don't, like that is what carries me through the year. Like that time is so critical to my year function to understand how I can go in mm-hmm. recharge, reframe my mindset, go in there. And I'm, we're still planning on, we're still planning through the year for it. We're talking about it, but like that time is so sacred that I like, I have to have, it's a non-negotiable. It's mm-hmm. like, I have to have this time so I can get through the rest of the year in a way yeah. to, to detox and like get out and, yeah. and experience that. It's mm-hmm. a whole, it's a whole washing every year. Yeah. It's yeah. wild, man. I mean, it's uh, it's a hard thing to put in, but it, you know, I, I just want to bring that up from an address. Um, first of all, really sorry to hear about Josh. Yeah. Um, it's cool to I I had talked to him numerous times. Um, I say it was like uh, calculated killers or something was like his his uh, okay. his like pathway brand. Um, he had done some stuff with like Twisted Oaks and things that like Jeremiah had, had promoted in the past. Mm-hmm. So, um, first of all, yeah. Sorry to hear about him and and a major loss to the bow community, especially kind of in our Appalachian region. Like, there's not many of us that are out there trying to kill giants, and and he was one of them. Um, but you know, kind of circling back to that priority of time and and figuring out, like, you know, the there's opportunities to get creative. You can you can push the bounds only so far before you sacrifice something that you know you need money, you need to put you know a roof over your family's head, but. Um, that that season tends to go so fast. There, like if you rewind, I don't know, fifty plus podcast, 
and you hear us talking in like October. We're like, oh, it's October first, the first week, man. But next thing you know, it's like, holy shit, it's Christmas. Like, what happened? <laughs> you know, dude, it really is so. I mean, think about how fast the months, and weeks, and months go. Like now, just during during mm-hmm. the, and it's like when every day, every weather front, you know, every whatever makes you know is is progressing throughout the season it's like it's it's over before you know it and it's like mm-hmm. how, how can't i not stop everything for this you know it's yeah like, it's yeah, funny it's what you look forward to i love talking to like the non-hunters about it because the i don't know somehow in like small talk conversation will come up with like yeah i you know fall is my favorite season i'm like i fucking hate summer with a passion mm-hmm. and they're like what like it's vacation i was like no like it's i'm miserable yeah like don't talk to me it's a funny interacting <laughs> with people during the deer season you're like you don't say it to, but it's like you know your guys are all missing out like the best thing in the world right yeah. it's happening right now they're like you're picking pumpkins and i'm like what the fuck are you talking about no, i'm yeah. about to go slay a dragon yeah so, they uh it's don't it's invite me to any more weddings in october yeah don't so, do that you have Not friends that are hunters yeah, I don't plan a wedding out of courtesy. Yeah, it really. <laughs> I mean, the the scary thing is the more you pack it in there, it's like six to seven weeks of like, that's it. Non negotiables. Iowa is different. Like we were talking with uh, Skalma and Duncan here, and they're talking late season muzzleloader and stuff. And I'm like, bro, I am in a state of deep depression by like January. <laughs> Mine's right after gun season. Yeah, just <laughs> that's when I'll. Everything that's left gets killed. Yeah, <laughs> just just plummets <laughs> right after that. Yeah, I've got a deer herd up until then. Maybe we'll. I don't know. It, that that'll be the cool thing about Illinois is like maybe we have great late season hunting out there. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's um, I'm so I'm so excited to be in a in a non bait state. I just think there's yes, deer are absolutely gonna still get killed, and and no, there's some seasons that I'm not a fan of. You know, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, you know when those gun seasons fall. Sure. Um, but I just think like the playing field is is so leveled. Um, regardless of like the weapon that you're using, mm-hmm. that that bait is just su- is such a um, a manipulator, like such a, mm-hmm. a giant factor in states where you can't do it. Um, I'm just it'll be nice to to, to be out of that for, for a bit. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Stealth Cam. Dude, where would we be without our cell cams? I would definitely be divorced at this point. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I mean, the fact is, is I spent more time checking cameras than I actually did hunting prior to cell cameras. Now at least my wife can enjoy me being in the comfort of my own home, buried in my phone, checking those pictures. Yeah, 100%. And dude, when it comes to uh, trail cameras and definitely cell cameras, reliability is, I think, the number one thing that we're looking for. Stealth Cam just has a long reputation of reliable cameras, and ultimately that is the most important thing to us. They have to work. In terms of reliability, there's not a better camera on the market than Stealth Cam, whether you're talking about the Fusion X, the Reactor, or the DS4K Transmit. And most of them are under 200 bucks. Southcam.com. Check them out. We had a, I had a good talk with a couple people the other day on um, Kentucky. So uh, for the first year, Kentucky always had a, um, I think it was the first part of March to like May 31st. Basically during turkey season, you couldn't feed wildlife. Um, they t- This year was the first year they extended it from March 1st to July 31st. So basically today's August 3rd, right? So Tuesday was the first day you could feed or bait again in Kentucky in, in um, expectation of the season coming up here in September. Uh, I think that's their first move to banning feeding. Transparently, you can yell at me all you want. but Fe- Feeding or baiting? Yeah, well, yeah, we went through that with the Minnesota, which thanks for helping us clear up. Like, there's a difference between feeding and which you can do in the off season, and baiting, which you cannot do in Minnesota during the season. Apparently, 
make it any more confusing. Yeah, give you a rocket um, science to figure it out. In Kentucky, I can feed through the off season after August 1st, and I can bait during the season. I do think that those are both in the midst to go away in the next few years. Um, whether other states will follow. I mean, Kansas has ha- has a baiting bill banning on the table right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it'll go. Will it change that state? 100%. I mean, it will, it'll disrupt a lot of things in that state. And, and even some really good hunters that we know, like in the places they're hunting, they have to, they almost have to bait to pull these deer into bow range. Just the size. Yeah. There's no, there's yeah. no timber. It's just big grass fields and stuff. Like why would a deer ever walk to this point in a grass field unless there was something there for it? So, I mean, it will completely disrupt that entire state as it would with a Kentucky or in an Ohio or I, I anyone bet, else. I bet the gun harvest would spike. Because I think a lot sure. of guys would be unsuccessful in the archery season, in the archery sure. season. and they would default, you know, mm-hmm. default back to. And different terrains will dictate yep. the success of that. But I do think that uh, the age structure would increase, though, immediately, no doubt. Um, and no I doubt. think that the amount of leased ground would decrease, uh, or it would decrease in value, because I think people go there because it's you know you put a corn pile out on a cattle pasture and you kill a deer over it. You can't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, so it. We'll see. It's not passed. Who knows? Um, but it, it definitely does seem like it could happen. Um, I think, again, it's easier to remove everything once you have banned baiting for five plus months, Kentucky, mm. uh, than to have it wide open and then say, yeah, we're not doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see it happening and, and we won't get into the whole CWD or disease of why it's going to happen. Just know it's common. Um, and, and it's also not favored by the general public, like hunting. If we go back into this hunting community discussion, uh, baiting deer to hunt is looked at as cheating by the general public. A hundred percent. They don't, they, they do not think that that's Based right. on what, where we see that it's just from pulls on the general public side of things. Not oh, the hunting. non-hunters. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, baiting, baiting, killing, killing deer over a pile of apples is cheating. It's not, that's not hunting. I had a conversation with one of our real estate clients the other day. He, he was talking about, he said, I don't understand the difference between baiting and, and feeding. And so I took the liberty of explaining it to him. I sure. Said, well, here, I'm, I'm against baiting. I said, here's yep. why hunting a state where yep. it's allowed and here's what I think it does. And here's the level of effort that has to go into planting a food plot. And here's how that works versus dumping a corn pile. And he's like... Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird situation. Like, uh, you know, if ultimately they tell tell me I can't do it, then it's fine. Like, I, I much like, I, you know, I know Bomar does it um, and a couple other guys we talked to, but, like, the, the feeding in the off-season from a supplemental source and stuff, like, eh, I mean, if you're going to play the disease gar- card, you can't do it. You know, you can't have both. You can't not be able to bait during the season, in my opinion, right? So let's take Iowa. Let's pick on Iowa here for a second. Can't bait during the season, meaning cannot bait while you're hunting. But you can feed. Can't. Uh, yeah, you cannot bait in well, Iowa. Well, dude, because remember, Bill was doing that, right? You like, can't bait. <laughs> well, he he was he was baiting for uh, he was feeding. inventory. Yeah, feeding. He wasn't hunting them. Uh huh. I don't know where right? that line but is. But that's that's what the warden told him. Yeah, he can feed during the season, but just you can't, can't hunt over it. Can't hunt over it. Yeah, I would assume because I know Lakoski's got the camera going all season. But it's a short time frame. It's like within a week or something. It's got to be gone. Yeah, like Lakoski's camera is going at all times during the season. Sure. So, so you can feed. You just can't hunt over bait. Yeah, that's sketchy for me. Yeah. Because I mean, if it's going to be, if the reason for baiting is um, right now, it's they're going to say it's non-fair hunting or whatever, unfair hunting. But it's really probably disease. Well, then you shouldn't be able to feed either. 
Um, if that's the reason. If yeah. that's the reason, right? So uh, all of these things, I think, are coming to a head really, really fast, whether we like it or not. And and I completely get the it. The CWD at- thing has been in, like, just to see comments on, like, on the last podcast is, like, nobody seems to be taking it seriously. None. Yeah, and I, I still do. I mean, for do I think, again, it's, it's kind of that hard to explain. Like, is CWD itself killing deer? No. Is it causing deer to get killed at higher rates? Yes, because it, it you know, they don't act like deer. They, they're out of their mind, right? Um, is, is there proactive measures that are probably too extreme being taken by states? I think so. Mm. Mainly because we don't know, right? It's, it's an unknown thing here. Um, should we do nothing? Absolutely not, in my opinion. Doing nothing would could be the worst. Seems to thing be what we most do. people think. Well, it's because they're do idiots. Nothing. They're idiots. Yeah, yeah. Do nothing, and then the deer go away. And can I say, okay, I blame you. It's your fault. And they'll be like, oh, it's not my fault that we didn't do anything. Yeah, <laughs> it was because you said so. Yeah, it's just. Cu- they would never take accountability for it. I mean, without proof that it has a drastic effect, like I can understand why people think that way. We have proof. We have proof. We have proof inside of where it occurred originally in Colorado with the mule deer and stuff that all the deer in that pen died mm-hmm. from it eventually. No external factors. They died. We put new deer inside that pen. Those deer died because it was in the soil mm-hmm. when they ate it. So, like, it is always fatal. Dead. It's just... Because of the way deer die in the wild, um, I'm not saying that no deer are dying in the wild from CWD. It's just the, the majority of deer. Else yeah, the majority is deer vehicle collision or hunter harvest type yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they can, you know, once they contract it, it's 18 months or so, 24 months before that disease would actually kill them. Mm-hmm. They die from something else in between. Because mm-hmm. the lifespan of an average deer in the in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, is what probably three years. Less than that. Well, there, of a buck anyways. Yeah. So there you go. And bucks are more prevalent to get it than does. Yeah. So if the average buck dies at three from something, right, and he gets it at 12 months, he's going to probably die prior to yeah, getting killed. It, it was interesting talking about, uh, like, especially in those higher pressure states, uh, about, like, the age structure of bucks versus the age structure of does. Mm-hmm. Like, we were talking, dude, the age structure of does must be astronomically higher than bucks, like, just across the board. Absolutely. But, but the higher the pressure of the state, like, probably the greater the distance. Like, there's probably yeah. does in Pennsylvania, like, you probably see 10-plus-year-old does per- Ancient. pretty frequently. Ancient. You know, and the likelihood of seeing a, a, a three- or four-year-old buck is not, not good. good. And I really wonder how that, like... That's the hunter mindset. I mean, the, um, most hunters, uh, yeah, somebody's going to say that they will, but most hunters don't want to shoot a doe, and they want to shoot a buck. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's why at one point in time, the average buck harvest in Pennsylvania was, it was like 96% well, were one-year-old. You know, year you old. can look at a five-year-old doe and not know. Yeah. You know, or versus You either want to shoot the doe or you don't want to shoot the doe. Yeah, it's a doe's a doe. Doe's a doe. <laughs> yeah. Doe be one Kenobis, as we call doe them. Doe be one Kenobis. <laughs> I don't, we may have been really fucking yeah. loopy in, in Illinois at that point. I said, I like just, just a doe one Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> And a, a uh, mega doe is mega doe, mega doe, mega But yeah, it's uh, but yeah, the, you either want to shoot it or you don't. You know where the buck comes in actual, you know, judgmental skills from a subjective standpoint of like, well, it's a one year old or it's a good enough buck. Hey, the antlers have a lot to do. That's a big rack on that. Yeah, I'll kill it. Shoot it or not. Yeah, most don't look at the or think about the age. They just think antlers. Mm-hmm. 
So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hard thing when you kind of look at that. And again, I'm, I'm not in agreement with most things that DNRs are doing from a CWD standpoint. In fact, I think that they're doing a piss poor job at communicating what, what they're doing and why they're doing it, which is why you see a lot of the responses. So I can't blame the mm-hmm. hunters for saying, Hey, this is bullshit. Um, it is a real threat. It's just the people that we're entrusting to handle the threat are not communicating how they're handling the threat or why they're handling it the way they are. Sure. Sounds like our government. Yep. <laughs> like yep. to a T. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, I get the responses that we hear from that thing, but you know, again, living in the research and the science side of it, I've seen, seen the result. Like I see what could happen if we do nothing, we have to do something. I just, I can't tell you that it's what some of these states are actually I mean, doing. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of tired of talking about it, but like, what do you say to some of these, uh, you know, southeastern states? Or I, I saw some guy in Wisconsin was commenting about it. He's like, I think the, the deer just kind of uh, develop an immune response to it. No. No? No, I don't think so. I would be like saying that, you know. Well, you've said the, that the even human, before. Like no, in the EHD. Southeast. EHD. They develop an immunity too. Okay. Not CWD. CWD is always fatal. Mm. Different different effects on different systems of the body, right? See, chronic wasting disease is, is affecting, like, the brain, right? It's it's a deterioration of the brain and nervous system. Mm. EHD is not. It's a virus, right? So, it, you know, two different, two different. That's, like, the same thing when somebody says, well, sure. it's just like COVID. Sure, sure. Well, no, COVID didn't affect your brain. Like, COVID was a respiratory disease. Yeah, different. Different thing. You know, think about the impacts of, like, you know, a deer can get shot in a single lung and survive. Can't get shot in the brain and survive. Mm-hmm. It's the easiest way to look at it. So it's just just different. There is, you know, to my knowledge and to anything I've said, there's no immunity to CWD. Yeah. Um, I don't, it's way, it's way over. The, the hardest part, I think, for people to do, we won't dive down this too far, but the hardest thing for, I think, people to understand, and, and I, I completely understand it on my side, and I don't know how to even explain it, is like, there's a lot of people, um, in fact, Eric Mitchell was one, killed a, a really like like stud 220-pound, three-and-a-half-year-old buck, right? Sends the sends the uh, samples off, tested positive. This So now I'm looking at a healthy, like whatever, 130-plus-inch buck that weighed 220 pounds that has chronic wasting disease. Like that's the disconnect that's happening here, right? It's like, okay, uh, well, that deer looks like he's fine, like he's healthy. Now, 18 months from now? Probably not, but he also didn't make it 18 months. He died at where the, probably most of these bucks are dying in that three, four year old age class max. Right. So it's a, it's a hard thing. And then again, to the communication side, and this is purely my, my opinion from reading things is that as these deer progress in the disease, like let's say they contract the CWD as it progresses, they begin to act not like deer, right? They begin to lose their fear of humans. They begin to do stupid stuff. They begin to, you know, just casually stroll across roads. All of these things lead to a higher mortality rate, not necessarily because of the disease, but indirectly from the disease, you know, symptoms essentially, which is what happened, frankly, if you want to compare apples to apples to COVID, which I don't think is great, but like a lot of people didn't die from COVID. They died from like, you know, pneumonia or Mm -hmm. cardiac arrest or something else that spurred off of, of that same thing. Well, it's the response is so similar is why somebody might say that they agree. I think the biggest thing is that, um, 
chronic wasting is chronic wasting disease across any whitetail. In fact, fact, most cervids um, in the United States, right? Why are, why is every state reacting differently and doing things differently? Mm -hmm. Makes no sense, right? Shouldn't it be, uh, shouldn't we all be working together to figure out, Hey, this is what we have to do. And now everybody apply it. And I know every state is different in terms of seasons and hunter densities and whatever else. But it's like if this state's going in and doing sharpshooting and killing a massive number of deer, and this this one's just doing hunter harvest to check, and this one's doing hardly anything, like that that's where all of a sudden you you compare it to a COVID because it's like this, none of this makes sense because nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody knows what they're doing. Why. So like you know, once they will try something, and then a couple of years later they're like, well, that didn't work. And I'm what's glad, the biggest? We didn't do that. What's the <laughs> biggest fear of government guess. is to say, hey. Guys, we don't know. We don't know what we're doing here. We're not sure about yeah, it. We know you don't know. You don't have to say it. We know. But they won't. They won't. And that's where the communication gaps, just like COVID and anything else, probably going to get black flagged now, Nick, because we said COVID 30 <laughs> times. But it, the, the fact is that's where the communication gap ends up between the general public and the hunting community in this case and the people who are making the decisions. And it's like, dude, all you got to do is talk to us. The problem is, is they're fearful of people making their own inferences and maybe not being what they wanted inferred. Well, guess what? That's that it's your, your freedom to do that thing. You can tell us that and I can make my own decision. That's a free country. Um, and then you have to react to what I say and you can tell me I'm wrong, but then show me the proof I'm wrong. Like this is how systematic things work. We don't see that in most cases. So uh, the, the number one reason is that they don't think that the hunting population can handle the information about CWD that they'll just, it'll be the next big conspiracy. So they'd rather not tell you than tell you anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, I don't know if it's any better. Cause like, I don't think, we it, know, I, they I don't think know it's worse. Either, so it's, well, I mean, you see the reactions. I think it's worse. At least if you gave some valuable scientific, and there is some data out there. I want to say that nobody's doing it, but there is some good stuff out there. But if you actually communicated to the outside public, at least there are going to be some people that say, okay, well, this makes sense. I understand why you're doing it. Yeah, sure. There's a group over here that's calling you, you know, wearing foil hats and saying you're whatever. going to have them. Yeah. But at least there's some stuff that I can say, okay, I understand why you're doing it. But if you don't talk to me at all, now I think you're hiding stuff. Or you're yeah. just flat out lying to me. Well, it'd be worth looking at like a track record of uh, instances or, you know, epidemics or whatever that like the government addressed and, you know, took intervention to, to try to prevent. And like on a, on a grand scale, like as time has passed here, so you could look at like, I don't know, polio or mm -hmm. like some things to say, mm -hmm. well, we address that, you know, but, but even now, like with, you know, uh, what's his name? Robert, Robert Kennedy's talking about the, the effects of this and that, sure. and like whether it was really a net positive or not. It's right. Like, what is the track record of the U.S. or of any government stepping in with like bi biological issues like this? And, and mm -hmm. CWD is obviously not as important sure. as the, on the human level, but what is the actual said and done rate of success? Like, uh, have we actually ever fixed anything? Like, have we made anything better? Just trading problems. Or are you just trading problems? It's a good it's question. All, it, that's all it ever is. You know, apply it to whatever, most recently COVID. Mm -hmm. Per this conversation, the CWD thing, like, yeah, it certainly seems like these things require some intervention, but like, at what cost? And ultimately, at what cost? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, that is the main point around CWD is that these people are basically saying, listen, you're going to come here. Hence you're my gonna, question you're about the shoot all these thing. deer. And I understand your response too, is you're, and you're probably right. 
you know, but it's like it's worth asking. Like, should we do nothing? Is that be- is that better than? I in mean, the short term, it's the con- it's the consequence of okay, do nothing. There are no more deer in your area. Mm-hmm. Is that your fault? Well, or uh, do something and there's still no deer. Well, they're all. That's the thing, though. By doing something, it may not be. You might not have the deer densities that you had or the qualities you have, but you have deer still, mm. right? Like take take northern Missouri for example. Maybe ten, in theory. Ten years ago. When they came into northern Missouri for CWD, they wiped out a lot of deer. And, I mean, it was property values dropped. Nobody leased there. People were, I mean, they were in an uproar, right? That to are, our knowledge, though, it hasn't it hasn't remedied the, the level of infection at all, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't, don't know, know what those stats look like now. Yeah. All I do know is the quality of bucks that are coming out of there are giants right now. Yeah, but unrelated to the... That's going to happen anywhere. If you go in and wipe out a bunch of deer yeah, but, where but there's good habitat. There's still deer, and there's still good deer. That's what I'm saying. Like, deer are very, very hardy from a pliability standpoint. Yes, but it's a separate issue. You see what I'm saying? Like, you're talking about, like, setting back the population. Mm-hmm. And I agree. You could do that anywhere. And Yeah, but there, nobody's saying, hey, we're going to kill every deer in this area. But CWD will. Yeah. Doing nothing. It's un- unbiased, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess because we don't have the information to say that that helped the cwd issue yes it helped the quality of deer mm-hmm. but it didn't eradicate the problem it's unrelated yeah. to the mm-hmm. but the deer are that still is there. the reason they did it well they were there before too though sure but cwd is still there too yeah so without the it, that final study number we, we can't really say any i don't know Maybe just as many didn't die in that time mm-hmm. or that there's still a population 10 years later where if we did nothing maybe there'd be no population maybe yeah we don't know are you willing to take that risk some seems like peop, some people are. I would call bullshit. At least for me, caring, going back to what we've talked about this whole podcast, I wouldn't take the risk. If you would tell me that, hey, if we do nothing, everything could be fine 10 years from now, right? If we do something, we're going to reduce deer, but 10 years from now, you will have deer guaranteed. I'll take the latter. Because if you tell me, yeah, I don't, if I don't 10 think years. You can make that guarantee, though. I mean, that's. Why not? You would. They would think. You would hope. I mean data showing it northern missouri they're still deer 10 years later i'm not getting anything out of the missouri thing like i think there very well might have still been plenty of deer i, I would be i'd love to know right that's uh, but that's the problem is one is unknown one is known we took those actions so that 10 years later there are still deer here and there are mm-hmm. we have proof there are deer there there are big deer there if you did nothing there's no guarantee that you would have deer here today. We should get somebody from Northern Missouri that was involved in that study on to talk mm-hmm. about it. I'd love to, love to know. They Be probably curious. have that after the fact. You know, sure. the, the stats and stuff. I assume they we're, better. We're I mean, just talking out of our just a waste. Yeah. yeah, they should. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, they should. Uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot there? of states. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people. All right. Yeah, either there or Wisconsin or I mean, there's plenty of states. Wisconsin's got the highest prevalency. Kansas has got it. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different states to choose. It it comes down to the fact that like, if we do nothing, it's unknown what the the outcome is. There is data to support that if we do something, I'm not saying that CWD is gone, like we eradicate it, but the deer are still here. Mm-hmm. Because we were, just like any disease, if we reduce the population, the, di- the disease can't spread as fast. Mm-hmm. Right? Sounds, like, sounds like the government talking. And so it is. Well, and I'm honestly, I've, it's it's hard not to relate it back to the to the COVID thing because it just sure. it's so it happens so recently here, and it's like so. I mean, take COVID for example. The thing was is if we're all together, the disease will spread faster. 
right? Mm-hmm. In theory, yeah. That that's what they told us. Yeah. So they kept us apart. Well, more than that, it's if you don't wear a mask, if you don't get vaccinated, if you don't do all this stuff, mm-hmm. that yeah, all those it'll are spread supposed faster. to prevent it mm-hmm. and keep keep apart, basically. Yep. Right. Well, the. See, the mask and the disease was, or the mask and the vaccine was supposedly to keep, uh, to allow us to get back together. Mm-hmm. The initial response was stay away from each other, spread apart, mm-hmm. yeah, no isolate. interaction. Isolate. Which would be why they would go in there and reduce a population of deer is to prevent more interactions of deer. Yep. More deer together, more yep. chances of spread. Yeah, I mean, it seems what's, similar. What's interesting was that you were saying about the muley and it being in the soil. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it doesn't matter if... They, if the deer if, dies there, though. Well, they are very different diseases, that, too. I mean, that's the... But if it all goes, it. if everything dies there, and then you just put in, rather than 10, you put in two, but mm-hmm. the soil's still bad. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it still dies. Doesn't matter. Right. It's so it's like, die. so the question... Like at scale, is that if the soil's still bad, where those deer are at, mm-hmm. how how does it matter if there's two? They're still going to get it. They're still going to get it. Still yeah. going to get it. Yep. Still pass it. And but then they're well, trying the, the to prevent. The reason is different, though. It's not because of the close proximity of the animals. It's because CWD lives, you know, through like it. it you know, if if something dies that has CWD, it'll go into the soil, and then whatever grows out of the soil contains that, and then if it gets eaten by something in the future it you know and covid didn't have that uh right right no i understand but i'm saying that even if you go and and take out a big population mm -hmm. are they actually just removing those deer like yeah that's it they're not letting them die and decompose now here's where the the real twist comes in everything as this advances further is they're saying now and there's proof right uh cwds in urine and saliva and blood so like if i shoot that deer and it bleeds all over the ground like Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. How do you do that at scale too? Like who pays for the infrastructure and then the disposal? Government. Well, taxpayers. Taxpayer dollars. Yeah. Taxpayer dollars. And I don't see them being that motivated to go in and, and really make it happen. Uh, they did. Uh, they did. On a national level? Well, no. Right. That's, that's where the state, the state region, that's where all of these things are different because there's different funding for different states. To your states. point, it's like how. There's different rates of infection too. Like there's different plates for whether they say it's 40%, other places mm-hmm. it's. All not there. Yeah, and it's it, that's the hard part Ground is zero. like, uh, yeah, it, it it comes down to the, you know, it's again, it's like who do you trust, right? And ultimately, in any of this stuff, whether it's COVID or or that's COVID. where that's where they are very similar is because the, you almost sometimes you don't know if they have it, and it sometimes takes like a uh, several year onset for it to like mm-hmm. be realized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, so again, if if the because of how vested we are in it, it's like, you know, if you tell me you have to do this in order for deer to be here five years from now, you know, I'll I'll do it versus the alternative being there could be no deer five years from now. And you will, but does that also apply to everyone else that's out there in the woods? No. No, they're not gonna not gonna carry either way. No. Which it it could lead to the downfall of white tailed deer in this country. Sure. If if enough people get together and say CWD is COVID esque and we don't want to do anything. And then all the deer in Missouri and Midwest disappear. Did those people feel the blame for it? No. Well, I mean, I'm sure everybody feels differently about how the COVID thing like ended up, you know, we could say we're out of it on the other side of it Mm -hmm. now, but like there's probably a lot of people that would say we'd have been better off doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. I'm going to say it's more than 50% of people in a country at this point. Well, I mean, yeah. And I, not that the percentages, it's what not would like it's be, a What would have been the outcome though? We, well, just like Missouri, we, we, we don't know. Right. Cause we did it. Well, we, no, we but, but even direction. like would have been the outcome of like do nothing. 
like during it. Like, yeah, I mean, we had, a, we had a, you know, three months of like, what the hell are we doing in life? Oh, it's more than that. I mean, dude, it's, it's been three years, you know, pe- pe- people still are like, some people never our countries in, our countries in shambles. Like it's it ruined well, our country. I don't, I don't know if that's from COVID necessarily as much as it is from the government overall. I mean, fair, fair enough. I mean, cause you know, most people who would say that are saying from a democratic side, like Joe Biden sucks, like he's no good. But I mean, Trump was in office when COVID hit. And I would say most of these people support the Republican government. Well, I think it has to do, uh, I think the disease did very little to affect like the state of our country at this point. It was the reaction to it sure. that caused ninety percent of it, and it would be the it would be the business shutdowns would be the biggest yes. thing, you know. On top of you know at a per, at a individual level, the isolation I think had some extremely negative effects. Oh, just just on the, the I mental mean the state isolation people, on 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 mental state in children especially was terrible. Yeah. Well, dude, I still see people driving by themselves in their car with a mask like in twenty twenty three, and I'm yeah, like, that's the craziest I'm thing. Like, I've this person's they they're ruined from the situation. You yeah. Know? Yeah, which is weird, you know, because like uh, most countries in Asia, that's what they have always done. Mm. Like if you see, if you go to like travel into like Tokyo well, or something, like yes. everybody had and, wore and it may be it. applicable for them. It's not just you know mask or ma- no mask. It's that person's state of mind. Sure, you know overall. Mm-hmm. Some of that relates to air pollution too. Other reasons in those big cities, especially over China. Sure, but yeah, I mean it's right. still. I just got back from them from Asia and yeah. Egypt, Middle East, and I mean it was. There's still people wearing masks around. Quite well, a bit. I mean, I from what I've heard is like China had like another COVID outbreak, whatever the hell that means at this point. Yeah, yeah right. Well, but just for the sake of the conversation, like it's it's interesting to compare to CW. They're not they're not apples to apples because they're very different. The diseases. reactionary side of it is because it's it's a non yeah. uh, we as a a public don't have a say in it. Right? How so? Well, as a petri dish, like. It, you and I don't have a say a, in how CWD's handled. We didn't have a say how COVID was handled and reacted to. Right. Other than what we did personally. Correct. But the, yeah. the population that it affects is so small compared to the mass of COVID. So it's, I mean, the attention and the level of care that it's going to receive is so, so yeah. limited. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, the only noise is going to come from us, you know, people like us. Well, yeah, and it's, it's not like there's that much money to be made from a, well, who knows, from a CWD <laughs> vaccine that you could administer to your deer. Like I think people are doing it. It's, it's minuscule compared to the vaccine. The deer farming that community. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the move is just a, a company that just goes out. Well, and there's no big, there's no big pharma right. in, uh, in, <laughs> Some, in the deer industry. There's, there is. Well, maybe there, sure, there is. has yeah. to be, there is a big pharma and it's in the deer farming community. Yeah. There's a lot of money spent into that. And there is a CWD uh, vaccine. There's an EHD. In fact, when I worked at Mississippi State, you talk about the EHD side, which very clear. EHD, CWD, two different things. Don't get them confused. Mm-hmm. Um, EHD, we, uh, our research year, when we got hit really hard in Mississippi in, oh, 20, 2008, 7, 8, something like that, we actually were admit, uh, uh, administering a EHD vaccine twice uh, a year to a deer, mm-hmm. uh, to, to try to help build that immunity and, and to survive on that stuff. But did it help? Um, we don't know. I don't know. Maybe, uh, th- the hard part is, is like, it's not realistic at a landscape level, right? Like I'm literally darting a deer twice a year 
administering it while I'm giving other vaccines and things like that yeah. too. The so. application is the hardest thing probably with wildlife. Yeah, they've you tried do, it. You do better with probably just removal and starting a removal company. They've tried it with the, like, the immunocontraceptives in New York City and in New Jersey and stuff too, where, you know, instead of just going in and shooting all the deer, they're going to dart an immunocontraceptive uh, drug into females, to, into does to not produce fawns. Well, like the amount of money and effort and time and effectiveness of that is all just fairy dust, you know? Here, here would be my broad stroke statement to like mm -hmm. wrap it up. I, I personally have a lot of confidence in human beings and wildlife's uh, just the re resiliency that's, yep, that's built in. And I, I just find myself wanting to bet on our ability to overcome things that, mm -hmm. um, you know, whether it be COVID or CWD or, or whatever. And I, I don't know. I don't have like statistics mm -hmm. necessarily to, to, to back that up. We can look at COVID and say, well, this was similar. And sure. here's how that should have happened or you know, we can quarterback yeah. that all we want. Um, and, and so I want to like be in favor of like, do nothing, let, let it overcome. Mm -hmm. And I, I can understand the argument that you're making is, but I, you're very much on the side of, well, we, we need to address this. And yeah. I just, I don't want to be responsible for the end I get of the year. I get it. And I'm not Neither saying, do I, I'm right? not saying that this is like, this yeah, is yeah, a hundred yeah. percent the end. I just am saying if, if, if the option is do nothing, which could, I don't care if it's 10% or 80% lead to the end of deer. If there's an option B that at least guarantees me deer down the line, I'm taking B. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anything guarantees deer down the road. That that's be my hesitancy to like, if you're going to take a drastic measure, like to address something, it's like you almost, you better be you damn sure that it's a going sterile to environment. Like you'd have to actually like mm -hmm. build it out and isolate yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which doesn't really exist. Nope. You know, and the, the hard part about and this. And let's be clear, too, there's going to be loss on either side. Like, disease is not good, right? No. Like, you know, and we don't want to see deer die unnecessarily mm -hmm. or, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, 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 you're going to have casualties on either model. We'll throw this out to your, I think the human, um, the COVID the, thing, the, the, no, 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 the confidence in humans to overcome, yeah. right? Yeah. So the and literally what I'm talking about there, Jeremy, is like you have specimen A. You know, what I mean, my mom let me. I was looking toilet seats and like sure. whatever, and uh, I guess there is no like correlation between toilet seat licking and COVID vaccine. Uh, no, I was gonna say, are there are there fully unvaccinated people? Like yes, yeah, and how do they fare uh, physically in the long term? I don't know, no idea. Also depends on the environment. Sure, yeah, pretty sure that most of the people I was with. Anyways, we're not. Yeah. Recently. Yeah. I'm talking about like regular from the, from like the get go. No, like, like like they like don't exist. I'm not talking about COVID. At like all. TB no, vaccines yes. and polio vaccines. What yeah, I'm yeah, saying yeah. is that all the people that I was with, they weren't born in hospitals. They weren't. There's no medical Who, around there. Uh, You're talking in the in the Bedou when I was with the Bedouin tribes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that, I think that would be a great example. There's like nothing out there. I don't think. Yeah, that would make sense. I guess what I'm trying to get across, and we, we don't, we have a skewed version of it like here in the United States because almost everybody's vaccinated yeah, right. uh, with the basic yeah. stuff. But but take somebody who's like highly exposed, mm -hmm. right, to their environment, you know, allowed to just uh, deal with it yep. versus like a, you know, a uh, a bubble. Sure. A bubble. You yeah, know, the like word. A highly mm -hmm. protective situation. Mm -hmm. Like it, it almost, se it seems like nine times out of 10, like th this is better. Sure. Yeah, I, I think the interesting thing on the human side too is that... Um, in a lot of cases, and I don't know all of them, but Wisconsin being one, I think maybe Minnesota or one of these other ones, um, 
the power has been given back to the hunters. This, this We've had this conversation before, and it's very interesting because people will say, oh, you know, they won't do that. But it, a lot of the complaint is around the fact that they're just they're handing out um, tags like like candy. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you can have as many tags as you want to kill deer. Well, it's up to Corey's restraint on how many deer he thinks he should kill. That's the problem is that the human spirit doesn't have restraint. So the, the issue that these guys have and why, like the, you know, basically what was a quality deer herd, and this is the fear in Buffalo County, I believe, and the surrounding counties, is that what was a quality deer herd and mature bucks and stuff, that people are just going to be giving out 15 buck tags and they're just going to mow them all down. Well, that's not, that's, why not restrain yourself from doing that? It's because not everybody cares about what we're talking about here with mature bucks and habitat and wildlife and year round balanced age structures as much as the others do. Well, it, it's interesting. It, it comes down to, I think like incentive, you know, what's the incentive to shoot? They just want to kill. Eh, I mean, yeah, maybe there's some of that, but like, why, why not just shoot does then? Uh, Cause it's not, it's not cool to shoot does. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause there's incentive. There's some incentive to shoot bucks. Yeah, I'm going to shoot a buck. Yeah. Walk. They don't care if it's a four point or right. a 12 point. Right. And I think that's, when it comes to like managing a deer herd, that's a problem. It's like, well, there's not enough incentive to shoot does, which would be beneficial. And there's mm-hmm. too much incentive around shoot any antlered buck. And the CWD aspect of it will be is because bucks have a, a higher prevalency than does. Uh-huh. It, it's that a weird thing because it is in a, in a strange way, this, the state government is kind of forming this solution, right? And then they're passing the ball to the hunting public to do not the hunting public because we actually have Warbon next, uh, but a hunting public community. <laughs> All right, Warb. Yeah, here you <laughs> Solve go. this for they're us. Hunting, they're passing this ball to us to say, okay, you guys can go and do whatever you want. And they just kind of sit back. And so if all of a sudden all of these bucks start dying and there's, you know, there's every buck is a one-year-old, it's like, well, I can't blame us. Like those are the guys who are choosing sure. to shoot it. Yeah. I mean, it's well, a real dude, that, sticky that, situation. That, that is the way of the world though, right? It's like, not me. N- nobody wants to take responsibility, but yeah. and nobody wants to, to suffer either. Which is where it's like, you know, I love the accountability side of this, if it could happen. Like, and it's, you know, I don't think it's an organization. I don't know if it's the state agency side of things. There's, there's a piss poor communication between the people that are managing regulations and the people who are executing and falling in line with those regulations. Um, There are also a large group, and we've learned this through the podcast, there's a large group of people who don't give two shits about the regulation. Mm -hmm. They're going to do whatever they want. They're not going to buy a license. They're not going to take a hunter safety course. They're probably not going to even hunt during the season. They'll They'll shoot a deer whenever they want because that's what they think they can do. And that group exists, and it's probably bigger than we all think. Um, I don't know how to process that, but it is. Um, Let me me say this, too. I think my – just like I would would err on the side of – you know, the highly exposed, you know, like uh, the ability to overcome, the ability yep. to adapt is paired with a, 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 a disbelief that people know what they're doing. Like people in power, oh, yeah. you know, it's like, I don't think you know, what, not you, but you know what I'm saying? Like, no, I don't know what to, I'm doing on most of this stuff. You know, point to like a, a government agency or somebody sure. that's in control. It's like the, the reason that there's lack of communication is like, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. And that's fine. Like, well, and what nobody, you say, nobody knows. What you say is on record. Uh, that's the, uh, if I have a biggest pet peeve about anything, and dude, obviously what we're talking about here is opinionated, 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 yeah, right? Opinions. Not, not facts. Uneducated ones at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the biggest thing I have a pet peeve with anyone is who, and no one who will put it in writing or record. 
If they're like, if you get a phone call and it's like, oh, I just wanted to talk this thing through, that means you didn't want to put it in writing for a reason because mm-hmm. you don't know or whatever you say, you don't want me to come back and say, hey, well, you actually said this. And I have a huge pet peeve for that. And I think to your point, Jared, that is a lot of this miscommunication. Like think about um, the, the way that that communication happens in this world. And so these people have a chance to come and talk to you know, this community about CWD and here's the efforts we're going to do. The moment they do that, they are held accountable for what they well, say. Well, and the distrust comes from... That's Joe Biden doesn't talk. Yeah. Well, the, that's, the distrust comes from you were so sure. You know, look at, uh, like, you know, Fauci is the guy that was, like, in charge yeah, of... Yeah, frankly, he, I'm surprised he went on record as many times as he did. Probably, yeah, he probably didn't not. have too much of a choice either. Probably didn't have a choice, but I mean, he's. Hey, you're the guy. Get up there and say those things. Like this yeah. is what you well, and, do. and how much better of a uh, position would he be in now, or like all of us would be in? Frankly, if he's like, well, listen, we don't know everything. He's like, I, I, I don't do know. It. You can't. You're the can't position of authority. Yeah. This goes back to who do you but that's, trust? But that's what I'm saying is nobody knows that. Sure. You know, you you can. You're just a human. He just assigned himself, or somebody assigned him as the expert to say these are the facts. Right. Well, there's, and a, that's, there's another level down from that too, where it comes into, even if you come out and you say it, we're going to educate, we're going to we're going to mm-hmm, hold accountable. Mm-hmm. There's still the next level of enforcement. Oh yeah, and that's which, and n- which is, is not going to. To your point of like, if there's this whole group that's doing this, yeah, this then, not gonna then this whole conversation is it doesn't it's matter mute. anyway. Yeah, it's, it's like oh, yeah, that's cute, guys. Yeah, doing well, what, over there. What, I'm going to just go out here. What, uh, to this, to you know, to my same question earlier about like, where's it? Where's a? What's an example that we handled correctly, and that was. We fixed it. That was it. In the same way, it's like, uh, when has somebody been put into that position of authority that's ever at the end of it not been like in trouble? Or because mm-hmm. it's like, well, you, hey Fauci, you said this. Now it's all these things were wrong and this and that and and yeah, there was right stuff in there. There always is. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, it seems like we need to allow for like uh, human beings to like be mm. and that's where make mistakes like that. Yeah, well, it's the, the human condition. Yeah. yeah, and that's where this whole aspect of um, we want somebody to have the answers, but like the reality is nobody does. Yeah, and nobody does, especially in that situation. So it's all subjective opinions. It comes down to. Well, there's science. There's facts. Mm-hmm. You know, and don't go around licking each other. We know not to do that. Like there's some. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. I don't. Know. Yeah, it's weird how it, it. You're right. There, there is a. There are facts out there. But then every fact has inferences made off of it, which has inferences made off of it, which has, by the time you get three rows down, it's bullshit. <laughs> like, yeah. that's, that's what happens. Um, and someone, someone's going to be on the line for it if they came out and said something. doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, the, the, the whole of like, and I mean, this is, this is the sad part about the reality is like the fact that we're sitting here, that the people who are, have been entrusted by the public to be the authorities to, to lead this country or this state or whatever into success when we have no confidence in them. That's a, that's a scary situation for all of us to be into, which is, this is not just on the deer, but giant country side of things. Well, dude, this country rose to power with very little government, right? Sure. You know, it was when the people, yeah, communicated with one another and, and, uh, Mm-hmm. you know, wanted to, to help one another. It's, it's the stronger the government has gotten, the weaker the country, you know, has, has become. I agree. You know, and, and along with that, we've, we want somebody, aka the government, to have the answer. And mm-hmm. the reality is, like, they don't. No, nobody can have mm-hmm. that. 
I'd rather have no answer than a bullshit answer, though. Sure. We also have a lot more loud voices. Yeah, I agree. With just with media in general of things well, that yeah. didn't exist and how long it's yeah, like. look at it, us. I mean, <laughs> we're just bombarding people with information of things that yeah. are left and right all day long. Yeah, there's day. some uh, there's some really, really rough stuff that's going. And I mean, that's where, again, inference forms inferences, forms more inference. Like this chain of, uh, this is why everything seems like a lie and we can't trust it because it's not built on facts. It's built on assumptions, inferences, assumptions, inferences. Down the line to whatever you get, that's COVID, right? That was what trickled down to all of us to COVID. It's like, I mean, there was a, a time of question in, what, March of 2020 where it was like, holy shit, like, is this thing really going to, like, kill, like, everybody? No doubt. Like, 800-plus people dying in New York City a day. What the fuck? Like, yeah. dude, I don't want to go. I don't want to be around this shit. And then quickly it was like, wait a minute. Like, what? Okay. Like, what? What are we doing here? Like, what What are these? And, you know, it just, those are the things that that started. It started with a fact. There probably were 800 plus people dying a day in New York. I don't think anybody would. But, like, from what? Why? How did? What? Who, a question would be, and I don't mean this. Just, how many people were dying a day before COVID in New York City? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's what I'm saying, right? Dude. And I'm not. I'm not saying that COVID isn't real because I. I do believe sure. it. It's it like I'm not saying CWD isn't real. Right. It's just when that inference and assumptions start to trickle down, you're left holding something that is like 10 percent of the facts and 90 percent of whatever people have said since then. Mm-hmm. And it's a really. And if you, there are people we talk about them. There are people that say, "Well, this is the truth." It's like, no, no, no. Like 10% of that is, but like this other stuff, like where, where did you come up with that? The question then becomes what, what is ultimately truth? And that's, it's, it's uh, people will argue both sides of it and have often valid arguments on both sides. I think that's where, you know, to a point you kind of just live your own life. Well, that's the, you, mean, <laughs> you control, even, your, even you control what, your own thing. Even with what you guys are talking hunt. about, like yeah. leave it, do something. Yeah. Like, yeah. Both, There's a both care. There. It doesn't mean that neither care, like both care sure. equally. You yeah, know, yeah. but but it's just a different of there, opinion. There's a happy medium to, there. Yeah, to do it. I mean, that's how, the, to your point, that's how this country succeeded is somebody said red and somebody said white, and then they figured out, like, well, we put them together, and how about this blue guy come in, and, like, now we've got a country. Like, that. that's how this worked is there were opposing views, but you, you worked together to come to a common ground on things. Mm-hmm. You know, unlike dictatorship, which is we're told what to do, mm-hmm. right? So now take that and think about the situations we just talked about Sure, shit doesn't feel like red, white, and blue came together here. I, I don't know if I told you. I went. I took a, a buddy down to the Social Security office the mm-hmm. other day. I mean, it's scary. Gives, yeah, and I've taken the same friend to uh, like a, a different courthouse and stuff. You know who I'm talking yeah. about. It's just like, man, that's depressing. D- dependent on the government is not a position that you want to be in. No. Well, I mean, anybody who's in the Appalachians and stuff, um, you know, it's like get get in a long line for the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. I mean, anyone who's in Appalachian region of of this country, you ever drive by a methadone clinic? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Rough. And then it's also like, why are we giving them? Why why are we doing? Why are we doing this? Yeah. I don't know. Because it's easier than taking care of them. Yeah. Scary. Cheaper. Yeah, it's a it's a weird 
weird factor here. And I know people are going to be like, holy shit, these guys went off the rails. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> well, we definitely did, but yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I'm not, like, anti-medicine. Or, like, I've, I'm the, 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 the product of, like, hours of... Uh, plastic surgery like it did me so well multiple times yeah Yeah, i'm not like anti-medicine or anything like that but like man it just seems like we like we screw up a lot of stuff and like Mm -hmm. you know the world is so like it's revolving we're so resilient wildlife is well no i'm just saying like its ability to to fix and repair and sustain itself like the intervention that we apply seems like it helps but you know i think the question is at at what cost well i i think um I'll leave you with this to that point, and it, and it, not disease related, but obvi- this is a more off the rails. Obviously, the way, in in the, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, market hunting was huge. White wiped out the deer population. In order for us to have deer in many parts of this country, we had to take them from other areas and restock them into new areas. Mm. Had to have intervention, mm. or there would be no deer there. Mm-hmm. Which sounds like it'll probably have to happen again. But what if all the deer are fe- affected by it? Mm. Then yeah. you can't. So that that's the yeah. There has been I, I'm not cases saying of it. Don't ever do anything either. Well, people are saying don't do anything, and I, I you know, I'm not saying assess, that it assess the be threat. Assessed, yeah. yeah, assess the threat, obviously. But but pretty I, sure you said don't I'm do not, anything. Well, we're <laughs> just, we're talking generally versus Extreme. the CW yeah, thing. Right, I know. Yeah, but but that is the that is the thing. As accurately as possible, assess the threat. Sure, and, then, know, and then make don't overreact. And I think, uh, to to the credit of state agencies, I think they have been assessing the threat. I think they have been changing their approach to this stuff. I'm sure Missouri has changed their approach over the last 10 years. We just don't know about it because there's no communication. Communication breaks down, and that this is the discussion that ends up in as a result. That's, that's the other thing too is that there has to, there will, there has to be mistakes, and there has to be room for forgiveness. Yeah. Boy, people don't like to admit that they make mistakes. No. I have no problem. Oh, we dude. just had that long conversation yesterday. Yeah, and then you learn from them or you don't. It's called a narcissist. Yeah, everybody, everybody makes mistakes, dude. It's the people that aren't willing to admit that they make mistakes that I'm like. You, you are know, the mistake. You are, yeah, <laughs> stay away from that person. Yeah. So it, 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 there is something. It will be good. Uh, man, nobody likes to talk about CWD. I, obviously, yeah. we have no problem, and we're not. This is this is all just we're just having a discussion. Well, you know more about it than I do. I just it's I a, mean, it's I've never personally worked with CWD. Yes, I've been in the deer research facilities and biology side of things for a long, long time, right? But I've never personally, and and Emily has a little bit, but not a ton. Um, you know, it, it's there are certain people who have lived in it. Strickland has been in it, but you know, Mississippi's not really engulfed in it yet. Um, the people who I think have really been on the ground level of this, I don't think like to talk about it because there probably has been a lot of mistakes and there probably has been a lot of over, you know, precautionary measures taken. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody wants to go on the record and say that. We'll we'll try for everybody listening. Like we'll try to find somebody to to really help talk about this stuff. And I would ask that you listen to them with like an open mind. Like don't don't immediately say, oh, the, you know, this is bullshit. It's government. Um, cause they've probably been living in this thing for many, many years. Well, that's the point of a long form, like open format discussion is to, to find out, to ask those questions and to like, we'll make our own opinions about it. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see, and I'll dig up some, maybe uh, I don't want to dive into it every freaking podcast cause yeah. it's it, but at some point I'll, I'll dive into some stats and stuff. I'll pull some research from some of these universities and see, um, to the, to like the prevalence in Missouri. I don't know. I would assume it changed, but I don't know. Hopeful. Hopeful, yeah. yeah. Hopeful it'll change, but uh, I have no idea. 
you know, and and uh, I will say that the 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 most vocal crowd about it is the deer farming community. Take it for what it's worth, because mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it is the if CWD is detected in their facility, right? It is the end of their business, the end of their livelihood. So uh, obviously, I think we kind of all can assume where their position is on CWD and what they believe is going to happen here. Um, so maybe it's it would be good to have both views on it at some point. Maybe it's a CWD roundtable. I don't know. Yeah, but even the Missouri thing should give a baseline. We did this. This was the result. This sure. is what we've seen. And Agreed. this either worked kind of or a little. Yeah, like, or like it seems like we're missing the most all. important thing from right. that study is like, where do we stand now in terms <laughs> yeah. of prevalence? What did rates? it do? Yeah. Yeah, I don't we know. know what you did because we know the deer are better, but that's unrelated, in my opinion. Sure, yeah, that's gonna I mean, happen it, anywhere. You shoot the disease deer. side of it, yeah, I I don't know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, and I'm I'm sure there's data out there. The other question is, and I probably we won't see the data is like how much money did it cost? I was gonna I was gonna ask the same. Sure. You know, to to the point of what we talked about in the past podcast of access, that is a critical threat to hunting right now. Mm-hmm. Lack of access. Mm-hmm. So is CWD? How do you balance? Well, that? and at some point. Somebody's got to make decisions, and we have to trust leaders too. Like that's that's critical. And it's not going to make everyone happy. It doesn't right. matter which way you right. do it. Someone's no. going to be upset. It's right. not. Yeah. But again, yeah, the guy that doesn't care about any of it's still going to go out and just shoot what it wants. Yeah. So I mean, it's if like, they call Jared and I up and say, "Hey, listen, CWD was found by your new Illinois farm. We're going to kill uh, every other deer that we see." Mm-hmm. Like, of course, it's not going to make us fucking happy about mm-hmm. it. You know, do we have a say in it? Probably not. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, it's it's a weird. It's a weird thing how it all boils down, but no, we should find somebody with better facts that we can at least start to have those discussion around. Hey guys, here's a fact. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to know. Um, yeah, we'll dig somebody up for that. So anyways, that's it. Yeah. It's good for me. Nick, you good? I'm good. Looking <laughs> tan over there, brother. Yeah, I think you got tanner. Yeah. We, we, we yeah. might want to turn down these <laughs> lights like you, a little you're bit. You're looking like you're about to host a talk show or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, yeah. I mean. Where's Kelly? You are, you are not the father. Um, well, cool. Uh, well, we appreciate everybody listening to episode 139 of the Hunter Podcast, and uh, we'll catch y'all next week. Later. It's taking me. Oh.